And welcome to the News Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White. And today we have a different intro. Intro. We have Martin Theobald, as always, and our special guest for this week, Steve Goodwin. Hey, taking place of Terry. So most people will be rejoicing at this part. It is anyone but Terry, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> frankly. <laughs> but in Even fact, Terry's at yeah, We have, in fact. Boxing royalty in our midst with Steve Goodwin. So um, I have uh, a whole host of questions, but I guess um, I was up to do it. How was your weekend? It's all right. I've had a week off work, so uh, I've been fairly chilled for the week and weekend. Saw Adam Booth at uh, a place on Wednesday, I think it was, in oh, London. Bumped into an old chum. Yeah, an old chum, but I realised he blocked me, so I fucked him off. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so no, I didn't even go and uh, converse. Um, Steve? Well, I was down in uh, Little, Little Italy in Surrey last night. I took a manager who had supported me since the start and took him and his wife out for a meal to say thanks for everything you've done for us. And uh, we had a really good night there last night. It was brilliant. Sound. With a table good, magician, I saw. With a brilliant table magician. Martin, he was brilliant. They're yeah, good, they are. I've got to get him up to one of our dudes. And, oh, you got to see, he's fantastic. Best table magician I've ever seen. Brilliant. As in hand magic? Hand magic. It was just, I've never seen anything like it. One of the tricks was, I've got to tell you this, right? <laughs> <laughs> He get he gets he writes on his hand um, a, a big black cross, and then he tells Trisha, who's just sitting on her own, to clench her fist. And then as she clenches her fist, he said, "Right, I'm going to I'm going to send this to catch in your hand." And he just made his hand movement. She opened her hand up, and there was a black cross in her. No, <laughs> that's mental. <laughs> that is now, mental. That gives you an example. And he never got near her hand. Hey. <laughs> she never, and she never, felt, and she never felt nothing. So we don't know how he did it, and that was, and it was like that. He did about twenty minutes, like he, dynamo style. Yeah, he got, he got like a ten pound note, and then he just put it in his hand, and he went like that, and it became fifty pounds. It was just amazing. Called Zap the Magician. I've got to see him. I've got to see him again. You need to see him. Brilliant. <laughs> well, later on, when women taking their clothes off and they got X's all over their boobs, what happened here? <laughs> <laughs> Your Honour. <laughs> There was X's everywhere. <laughs> Show me on the bear where he touched it. <laughs> Nowhere. Fuck. Um, okay, well, so Steve, let's go into it with uh, with you. I suppose the most basic questions are why, when and how you got into boxing promotion. That was all your questions. That's not just That's the basic it. <laughs> yeah, so well, Try and string them out for about two hours if you can. Well, there's two jobs, isn't there? There's the, there's the promoting job and the management job. So they were two different times because you can't be a manager when you start off because basically um, you, you, that you have to have a license for three years before you become a manager. Even so, most managers out there, well, a lot of managers don't know what they're doing even though they've got licenses, but that is the actual rule. So what happened was I, I didn't actually have any particular desire to promote, but Olivia did. So... Olivia being your daughter. Yeah, my daughter, yeah. So if Olivia wanted to do it, she was, uh, how old was she at the time? She was 19 or 18 when we were thinking of doing it. So I just basically, it was one of the things she wanted to do. I basically went to London, went for a hearing, 
got a promoter's license. Didn't know any. Didn't really know people in boxing. Thought shit. I better better do a show. And, um, I put one on in Milton Keynes in the football stadium and in in the at the top. And I had four fights on the card. It was absolute shit. But but we did it. We got through it. And um, to be honest, what had happened was the board then said basically, Livy wanted to promote a show in her own right and be a promoter, but they wanted me to do it for a year before she could do it. And I then did a couple more shows, and I remember doing one on the 30th of June at your call in 2010, and I was just getting ripped off by all these scumbags that were in boxing. <laughs> and, um, what? what? Scumbags? Some in boxing? Scumbag. Yeah, there's some, there's, there's, there's some good people What's in there. What's changed? <laughs> there's some good people out there, but there's some that are not so good. And <laughs> not they, remotely difficult to, yeah. to, to imagine. And um, they basically ripped me off for money. Um, stole money, bounced checks on me, everything. And I just thought, I want to give up. But I couldn't give up because I had to see the year out. So, <clears throat> so but honestly, it was so I was losing money and just getting conned. Because what happens when you go into boxing at the start, all these scumbags, they leech, they think he's a new one. <laughs> and it must be a bit of fresh meat, isn't it? Like, yeah, all of the that's how it is. And they, leech, and they leech onto you. And they, they stick, you know, they do everything. For I'm not, I'm not going to mention names, I can't get sued, but um, <laughs> but they do it. And then the new next new one comes and they go to them. So I got caught. And it's whether you can survive the getting done in the early days as to whether you last. Because a lot of promoters don't last. Yeah. I'm speaking to Tommy Dove. He's lost fortune so far and he's just become pro. But I... Um, Is it... Even in retrospect now, if you look back at it, would there have been a way that you could have stopped yourself from getting conned at that early stage? Knowledge. Or that, that's the key, is it? The key is knowledge and knowing the people. I now ah. don't get... You still get the odd one that tries. But people know that I'm not one... You're not going to con me. And number two, we're really, really, really fussy who we deal with. So certain managers could ring me up and say, I want to put a fight on a show. We just, we just say politely no. Um, so you avoid those that you know are not trustworthy um but you see so i think it's like anything in life when i look back at it when you're i'm a financial advisor that's my normal job so what you do is you you pay a lot of money you go you you we learn you do it like yourself but you pay for knowledge and you go and do courses exams and everything else in boxing it's on the job so instead of paying for exams i pay to get ripped off and then you learn from that and that enables you to develop further down the, you know down the line so that is how i become a promoter and i didn't really want to do it but i carried on for a year and after a year i thought oh, okay well i think you, you then you then you then develop this i can make a difference behavior you think you think that you can actually change it so you then have a thing that i can change this i can make a difference blah 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 so to a certain extent i think we've done that but you can't really change it all because it's indoctrinated how it runs but um, we having we ha- I've been able to change it. The one of the things we changed, we increased. We did a boxer commission of fifty percent on ticket sales. At that time, everybody else was ten percent, twenty percent. Now everybody does fifty percent. So what these people out there don't realise when they want to, if they want to slake me off, or these other managers do do, is that without me, it would have still been ten or twenty percent. So that's for every every ticket that's sold above by a above a, any ticket sold above a threshold you know there's a threshold to cover the fire yeah so you pay for your opponent you pay the opponent and the money towards the medical the cost yeah. of the house so you so that the promoter basically would not he wouldn't break even but he'd come close to breaking even then you give him an incentivize above that but it used to be with the small promoters 10 percent, 20 percent, and 
I then introduced 50%. And then I had other promoters ringing me up asking me to do a cartel. Look, let's drop it down. Let's agree a certain thing. Let's make sure the boxes are screwed. Oh. And I refused. <laughs> and I refused. Again, I'm not going to say who did that. I refused to do that. And that person doesn't like me too much, but that's because I've affected his business model and they've all had to go to 50%. So that, that was the sort of thing. So I did the promoting thing. And then I I then decided that my skills are better, are far, even better served as a manager because le- legally wise, we're quite clued up on the law, the family involved in the legal business. I'm quite smart myself. I've done law. Um, and also... I'm quite I'm good around mathematics and financial arrangements. I think so you've said before as well, we were chatting about um, your background of playing chess from when you were young, and the strategising yeah, moves for fighters and trying to plan three, four, five fights, or fighters moving them into positions. Yeah, because I mean, and also what I can do is screw other fighters and block them. <laughs> so, aren't mine. <laughs> so Which is the case if they're not yours, then it's you've not, got no loyalty. It's nothing, it's nothing personal. I remember when Miles Shinkwin fought Joel McIntyre, and we... He was at that time under a, a, a promotional deal with Frank Warren um, that we actually won the bid for, and we put him in a nightclub in Portsmouth with a diddly ring and a load of nutty Portsmouth people <laughs> threatening to kill him. And I remember seeing Miles a month of all the fight. I said, I'm really, I'm really sorry for what I've done, but it's nothing personal because I'm actually Joe <laughs> McIntyre. And Miles said to me, oh, I, I fought all over the world for England. It's not going to bother me. It bloody did bother him when he got there. <laughs> but that's my job. And then and you strategise it all. Yeah, know, so. and then Joel beat Miles yeah. in that fight, and now you've signed Miles. Yeah, Miles has now come back. Come. <laughs> it's the same thing, because Miles wants me to look after him rather than be against him. Because we know, you know, we do, we do really genuinely look after, and we do plan, because most of, a lot of managers out there don't, haven't got any idea of how to plan. So. Um, I'm thinking Conor McGregor could probably use someone who knows how to use... Um, a boxer with only either like with a bishop you can only move diagonally Conor McGregor has an extra wide stance but that is all he has <laughs> how, would you, how would you use him in his Mayweather fight well I think whoever's managing him's done alright yeah, 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 they, they, they don't need me that's right. for sure <laughs> what do I do in the, when I get in the ring don't worry about that just pull the fuck over <laughs> mate it doesn't matter so how so how long have you been uh, promoting now Promoting, I started promoting, first show was in March 2010, and I've been managing fighters since the uh, middle part of 2013. So managing fighters for four years, promoting for seven. So it's probably worth breaking down, people, the difference between promoter and manager in yeah. terms of the two jobs. Am I right in thinking you can't promote and manage? Is that, is no, that not correct. Is something I've heard? No. Okay, right. No, so. the, the, the rule on promoting and manage, because I always, I'll go into my detail and you can cut it out if you that's don't right, think it's worth right, a bit. Okay. If you look at things from the outside, one of the what you would do if you were a boxer, you would say, I don't want to go with somebody who's a promoter and manager. That would be logical because there is technically a potential conflict of interest. Okay, mm. so that's what I say to all boxers. Right. And however, if you have a ethical promoter and manager, and I'll explain what that means, the differences in a minute, <laughs> then that's the best thing to do. Because if you go to a manager who's not a promoter, that manager is begging a promoter to try and move somebody because you can move as a manager if you move somebody into position but you can't stage the fight you've got a problem so you can't really do the job properly if you're not a manager and promoter because you're always begging another promoter if I'm a manager and a promoter I can use shows that I'm involved with to to manoeuvre not only just manoeuvre to manoeuvre and stage because also you've got your shows and Josh is a a promoter on his own yeah Olivia promotes (coughs) Um, and so consequently 
I can therefore go to Josh and say, look, I know you're, he runs, they run their shows independently and they're independently financial. They run them on their own. It's all, you know, and, but obviously I can turn around to them and say, right, can you put this guy on? He'll sell tickets, hit this one and he'll sell tickets. So we can, we, we got that opportunity because it's a lot easier trying to deal with Josh or Olivia than it is going to be to try and deal with a, a third party promoter who's thinking, well, why do I want to invest in that fight? Because it means you just sail off into the wind after. So in effect, if you've got, if you've got that, but what happens with a lot of promoter managers the guy that's promoter-manager stages his shows and he will be making money out of his fighters fighting on his own shows because he might be make, getting a £1,000 towards the show. The guy will sell tickets, put £1,000 into the house. Therefore, he doesn't want that fighter to fight on anybody else's shows because he loses the £1,000 going into his pocket every time he fights or 600 whatever it may be on that fight. So what some manager promoters do, and I'm not going to make names, you see that their fighters are always held back don't get promoted to title fights and keep doing six rounders at the age of 35 when they've already won titles three years before. Never allowed to get on. And I think Martin would probably guess who that is, right? Now, these people are just total. That guy should never have been with that manager because he's just basically... The conflict of interest has meant that that guy's career has been held back. So that is the... But the different thing is, but as a manager, I have no problem. For example... I've had fighters on in the last 12 months on eight different promoter shows apart from ours. I've got three fighters fighting on an MTK show in Brentwood in October because they live in Essex and it's worth them. we think it's better for them to do it. We've got a big announcement about working with another big profile promoter coming where we're going to have at least six fighters fighting on his show. Um, I have, I've just had um, fighters down in Devon on an Errol Johnson show. So that's what you call non-conflicting management because I'm actually managing the fighters and putting them on shows where it suits them best. Oh, you, can, you can definitely see how it would, how it would be a conflict. Of, essentially, if someone is in a position to serve themselves with your talents, then a lot of people will do that. Do but you know but I, mean? I can show, I can actually demonstrate on paper that my boxers get an advantage from, from doing that because I'm free to do it. And I have another thing that I do for my boxers, which nobody else does. I don't charge them any management commission until they earn four thousand pounds. So, so the which is unheard of. Nobody else does this. So, what they do is when they're starting their careers off and they're struggling to earn a thousand or two thousand pounds, I'm not taking twenty five percent off them like other managers are. So, I don't, and even if they fight on other people's shows, I still don't take it. So, if I go to the shows at oh Joe Elford, I've got somebody on the Joe Elford show in Kent in in, April, in October as well. If I go to watch them fight, I pay the expenses at my own pocket. Don't charge them it. Don't take any commission. So I'm actually losing a lot. But if it's the right thing for them, that's what I do. That's why it works. And I've also got the skill set to move them into title contention, as can be seen by the amount of champions we've created. The disadvantage of what I do, not taking management commission, is if at the end of their three-year contract that I've built them into something special and earning money, if they then decide to do a very dishonourable thing and not re-sign at the time they go to earn money, I could have I could have done something for three years with no management fee and then lose it. So that's the negative of my system. Um, and I, I have spoken before to Robert Smith, the head of the board, and he doesn't think what I do is right. He thinks I should take all the time. But I'm still maintaining my system. So, so, so why? That would be the logical question. Because I don't... Because boxing for me is not... It sounds crazy. It's not... My business, my business, I'm a financial advisor. Boxing is, I'm not saying it's as big a passion as it was, but boxing is my passion. So um, it's something I love to, I loved, I loved, I loved to do. I loved the whole thing of it. 
and I didn't want to be seen as somebody. If, if a kid is earning two grand, seriously, or if he's having to train for six, seven weeks for the fight, sell tickets, he gets £2,000. Do I deserve four or five hundred pounds of that? No, it's not. It's not morally <laughs> right, is it? So I think to myself, if I was, if that was my son, what would I? So that that's how I'd be because I think it's. I just do what I feel is right. I know it's not heard of in boxing, and when you get stabbed in the back by people, as it has happened to me quite a few times, then it does hurt because you're doing the things for the right reasons. But that's how it is. So is there no way, therefore, to? Um... I don't know, like extend their contract, but like keep it as a running thing. So no, three years is the maximum you can sign, and then the boxer then has the choice whether they want to renew or not. Now some and that has to happen at the end of those three years, doesn't correct. it? Correct. Oh, okay. And you have and each box. Now I've just had two resign recently. Jordan Joseph just resigned. Jose Lopez has just resigned. Many <coughs> do resign. Um, but whose guidelines there? Are they set in stone by the, the boxing, the boxing, the British boxing. That's the rules. The only way you can have longer than three years if you did a private agreement with them, you could have a private agreement for ten years. But then it means if they try and break that, you've got to then you've got to go to court with the boxer. And um, I've had a manager, I've had a manager try and I've seen a private agreement last in seven years, and the boxers just told them to get stuff. They're not going to go to court, and it's, it's actually wrong to do that. You just hope people. When I when I started off, and yeah, it's, 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 sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I, it seems crazy to me to not have a system where you can where you've. You could put in place three years, and at the two-year stage, we can opt for an extra year or an extra two years. Or an extra three. It's like, that's like waiting until your player in football, for example, yes. is on a free transfer and then go, do you want another contract? But then the board's, the board's attitude is the boxer should be free to move whenever they feel, and they therefore, you could have a manager after two years saying, I'll only do these fights if you sign now an extension of contract, so the boxer can be put in a hole. So I sort of see both sides, but I also see now, and I have one thing I have learned is now I look at these contracts that are coming up and I work out where the boxers are and I will, and I will, it will be a consideration of how you you know deal with the boxer because you're not for example a TV company comes along and wants one of my fighters and his contract's running out the TV company's not going to want that to put them on TV and then find that next week they're managed by somebody else and they don't want to promote them and then go onto a different platform so from my point of view also you do have to look at it that 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 where are we in, in the con- where are we in the contract? It's just it's just how it is. Unfortunately, people do stab people in the back, and people whisper in people's ears, and they they make serious errors. And I know they they make errors, and it's it's not good for them, but it just happens. Okay, uh, just a, a quick one. What would be? Um, <laughs> I hesitate to ask you the the purity of this question. I.e., do you like the boxing business? But then I sort of narrowed it down to the three pros and the three cons that you've you can garner from your experience in boxing so far? What's the sort of three worst things you can think of about being a promoter and three of the, three of the best things? A promoter manager. Because promoting... <laughs> Sorry, okay, promoter manager. Because you got to... Because yeah, no, a promoter, you're just... A promoter, you're just staging shows, right? So yeah. as a promoter, you have the evening where you watch the fights and... You they, never get great. to sit, though, do you? The times I've been... No, you're yeah. up and down seeing people. Yeah, oh, no. like, you might have a seat at ringside for it, but I'll sit and watch more action than you will. No, I do actually um, get to see... I do now. If I manage a fighter, I do get to... I've, I've got a system in place now. Never used to be like this. Where I watch, I'm able to watch every single fighter I manage. So I do do that. Um, if they don't, if I, the times when there's a fight that I don't manage, then if there's things to do, I do it in that in that in that but particular period. Again, it's all the things people don't see of what goes on at a show. So like, I'll get there early sometimes to one of your shows and go and set myself up with my iPad and what have you and get ready. And then you're in the back room 
cashing in with a fighter so taking the ticket money yeah. adding it all up but a lot of it's run by like friends and family as well isn't it so the bar at your calls like the VIP bar we yeah. have people yeah it's all friends everybody everybody that helps out are friends of all their family they just they just help out yeah so the reliance on I mean people probably assume that it's all done as like a business side of it but I said the reliance everybody, think... everybody helps out and then we just you know everybody helps out and then you do you to help them, you take them some, you know, you'll treat them and stuff like that. But everybody helps. Out. There, there isn't the budget. There isn't the budget to. to people don't realise that's this. what's taken me by surprise. I must admit the ve- the little amount of money that I hear rattling around the sport. It's not like it's a wash with cash. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, he's with but- Mr. Eddie Hearn, and <laughs> he's got he's got all the cash. Ninety nine point nine percent of it. But yeah, those, those promoters have got the cash. But at this level, the lower level, there isn't that much money. And boxers. Don't get a lot of money. Well, they can. I mean, I'm lying because some of the bigger ticket sellers do earn really well. But generally, those that just sell an average amount of tickets aren't fighting for a lot of money. Um, but on the promoters, so I'm back going to the question. The the best thing about being a pro is actually watching the fights and seeing your boxers p- progress. The manager, the 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 manager, because that's just a show, right? But the the thing I enjoy the most about boxing is the management, where you actually. M- m- get them through to titles. Frank Buglioni is an example. Comes to me, nobody particularly wanted him. I got him mandatory for the British title when nobody thought that, that I would. He then won the British title. Then I negotiated his contracts. We met with various promoters. We saw very got him a brilliant contract. I had opponent choice in there and everything. So being able to help Frank achieve that has been fantastic. That's the best thing. The worst thing about being a manager is you build, bring a fighter up to English British level and they shaft you when when you and that's the worst thing because you're getting stabbed in the back. So the problem is these you get stabbed in the back because they think they start to believe that they are now deserve, that, they, that, they, that other people whisper it. But I've and somebody else can do a better job. I prove with Frank Buglioni what job I can do. So at that level, managing them, I have no problem. I could take a fighter. Easily through to a world title, easily as a manager, and get them more money, probably than most others would, um, and get the better contractual terms and everything. So I'm quite capable of doing that, and I think I proved that. But the worst thing is that people say one thing, do another, and the deceit. But it's a hard business for boxers. I do see that, but that's that's the best and the worst, really. The best and the worst sort of come simultaneously. Um, just a quick one. You mentioned Essex earlier, and I just wondered. I just wrote it down what's What's the most remote boxer that's come to you? Like, is there anyone that's been like out of Hebrides and gone? I really love to start boxing. And you're like, how the hell is that going to work? Yeah, you get you get some. I get a press from all over the world. One of people to man, you know. Oh, can I come to Britain to fight? When you to manage me? And like from the most remote places. <laughs> and, but all they're looking for is me to give them an employment letter, them to get a visa, them to come over <laughs> and, be, and, and be provided with a house and money. So that they, that doesn't happen. But I manage a kid in Scot. I've managed. I manage kids in Sc- Scotland and stuff like. I've got a, somebody up in Yorkshire. What I have learned is, and well, I think we're going to touch this later. I think you only manage boxers far away if you really know who they're with and you and you have control because otherwise somebody gets in there and it just causes problems because you're not going to see somebody up north as much as you're going to see somebody in London. So therefore you lose a lot of control of what's going on. At risk of dickheads. Risk of dickheads, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that is about... Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, uh, question from George underscore GB92 on Twitter. Uh, to Steve, why did you stop working with... Well, he, he phrases it as Del Boy, but um, Chisora, Derek Chisora. Okay, so 
a lot of the before I start with this and we'll talk about and you were his manager sorry I was his manager we, we're talk, and we can talk about I know we're going to talk about Natasha Jonas at some point as well which we can yes, deal with simultaneously I know so what we've got to start off with say and I do again I don't need money from boxing so consequently I'm not doing it because I need money so whatever I do in boxing is done because I want to do it so Derek Chisora was, was um, out of management, and he came to me and asked me to manage him. He came to my office, drove up to see me, made the effort to do that, and asked me to manage him. So I then took over the management, <clears throat> and then subsequently f- found out um, that he had a contract with Sowlands that was inf- that was signed before I had anything to do with it. Well, well, a, promotional, a promotional right, contract. Okay. And under this promotional contract that wasn't that I would not have, that I would never have signed in the, under those bases, there was a certain there was a clause in there that basically said your manager cannot or you cannot speak to any other promoter about fights. So every fight, even if it was nothing to do with the Salans, had to be dealt with through the Salans. Okay, now it sounds crazy, right? But that's the deal. That's the deal they signed. So I was now inheriting a real logistical nightmare, which is very difficult to deal with. Now, Derek is not the most... I'm trying to look more words here. The, the most easiest to deal with. I think that would be fair I to say. I think people would probably assume that anyway. But so it's, yeah. it's, it's public persona. Yeah, it's, it's public persona is the same as his private persona well, most my, of the time. My first question was going to be, was your table intact? It was fine. No, it was so fine. He was, <laughs> he was actually, it down. He was actually all right, but he would, be, he would be a little bit unpredictable. So anyway, so the, the first job I had to do was to negotiate the Dylan White fight. But bearing in mind that to ne- we had an offer, which was absolute crap. And... <clears throat> bearing in mind that I'm not allowed... Well, I didn't realise it. It said the boxer wasn't allowed to, to deal. So I then started to... I had a conversation or two with Eddie Hearn, and that was met with the Salmons promote the promoter, the Salmons. I kept on work with them, but they issued me with an email saying, if you, if you speak to Hearn again, we're going to sue you. Um, so, Why do people love suing people in boxing? So all of a sudden, I then can't... Although I had spoke to Eddie Hearn, I can't really speak to Eddie Hearn. And... But it, but I was able to indirectly double, nearly double the offer in the end by the time we got the fight, which was great. So we did that. But it still causes a logistical problem going forward. The relationship between the Sowlands and Derek was toxic. <laughs> That's helpful. So now... Can I... Do you know why? Yeah. But I don't <laughs> think it's... I can't say that. Because, oh, right. Okay. Um, okay. But but it, but it was legit. It was to do with yeah certain things. But it was toxic because I don't think he was particularly happy. I think it dawned on him that that he could have had a different version of that contract. And I think that I think if it had been negotiated slightly better, you could have had some of those clauses right, removed. What was, what was the length of the contract? Was it fights or years? Two, or? It was it was a year with a year with a year extension. So when I took over Derek, that was he was four months to go, or five months to go on that contract. But then they had another year extension thereafter. The- that they can, that they can they they enforce. So that was that was what he signed to. So you can have a contract. So you couldn't that, even say no. No, my contract with Buglioni and Eddie Hearn is so much more, so much different. It's so different. It's so much more in our control. And Eddie was very fair in the contract. It was a two-page contract. No, whereas the Derek contract might have been 
20 pages or whatever. No, we, we don't allow Hearn praise on this, do we? Well, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him because of all the contracts I've seen, he issues the fairest Yeah, I was going to say, I like, I, I, I like us to be fair. and ter- Yeah, yeah. So, so at least no, when I mean, you know not... we're slagging someone off, it's for a good reason. Yeah, so. no, no, I'm not saying, but, but in, terms of, in terms of his yeah, contract negotiations with boxers, I can honestly say that I found him to be fair. Game with Salmon's though, I'm not saying that they're not fair. It's just I didn't do the contract negotiation. So he's inherited a contract. And the objective of a promoter is get the best terms you can. And it's the, the boxer's term idea to get the best terms you they can. You don't have to sign it. You don't sign it. So the sounds I'm not for one minute criticising them for that. But their relationship then got very toxic. Now you imagine I'm then stuck in the middle of a toxic relationship. Um, and Derek wanted to get out of the contract. But the way he wanted to get out of the contract was not in the way that you or I would legitimately live our lives. Was it in Chisora fashion? Yeah. And from that point of view, I spoke to Derek and he said, I'm going to do this. And I said, well, really, this is probably, you know, and he said, yeah, I think you're right. So I said, well, look, we'll agree that I will give this up. Because to me, there was, there was no money in the world that was worth what I was having to put up with and deal with and, and with what was going on. So Derek then... After I, I then resigned, that then left him free to pursue his, his angle to try and get out of the contract. And and he managed to get out of his contract with Salons. That is all it was. So there's no fallout. I'd, get, I'd see Derek now, I'd get on all right with him, but, no problem. But he then didn't want to re-sign with you, or was you not interested anyway? We, no, we just, I think it's better that, yeah. It's mutually it's, beneficial. I think it's mutually beneficial, because I think, no, I like him, but at the end of the day, I can, well, if we go to a bit back, I can go out tomorrow and spend a day with one of my big clients in London and earn X amount of pounds. For the financial side. For my financial world. I could take Derek Chisora and and earn and do a fight for him and earn the same amount of pounds. One job is is one day in London with a big client. The other job is three or four months of aggro. (laughs) It isn't smooth. And then you, you've got to remember that I've got a wife and family at home that want to see me and don't want, you know. So there has to be a point where you say, is that money worth my time? Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. answer was no. And Frank Bullioni, for example, is a model, model to deal with. He's fantastic. No problem. We, we go on meetings together. It's, it's, it's easier. Derek's always going to be that more problematical. And I really wish him the best. I hope he fulfills everything he wants. But... We haven't fallen out, but it was time. It was just the right thing. But I did. I, I do know that I helped him get a major, a good payday. A good from, payday. Yeah, from the, <clears> from the, from the Dylan White. But I remember <laughs> you were down in Portsmouth. Um, it was, must be the McIntyre Shink. I was in Manchester. Yeah. I was in Manchester. I was in Manchester, and Kevin Joshua in Portsmouth. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, it was when he chucked the table. That was on. Yeah, because what happened was, I'll tell you a story. This is true. You'll like this one. So. I've, during this time of December, my, my I was working seven days a week, working through literally 16 hours a day. And to be fair to my wife, it wasn't very pleasant for her because every time I was getting home, I was falling asleep. It was knackered. So I said to her, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have one day where I'll do whatever you like. We can go shopping, have a meal, go to the cinema, go to the theatre. But it will all be about us that day. And this was the Thursday that we agreed before the Chisora and Frank Buglione because I was travelling up on Friday to Manchester for the weigh so this is the day that I've been planning for a month that we were going to spend some time together. This is the other re- part of the other reason why I probably didn't. We, it was quite good to get rid of. On Wednesday, he threw the table. <laughs> <laughs> then the hearing was scheduled for the Thursday. Mm, so now, 
with the board, I had to go and I had to represent him because there was no, Salon sent a lawyer, Eddie Hearn was in the meeting and I went there, but I had to be there to represent him. I had no choice. So I had to then go up a day earlier to Manchester to represent him. That's, my wife's then pissed off, say the least. And and these are the sort of things why it doesn't become worth what it is. So I went up there. And there's do... all of us thinking, he's flipped that. Oh, that's just a, a, like a... Um... That's great banter. Yeah. No, <laughs> no he nearly, he nearly, he nearly... That fight was that fight was nearly cancelled. Really, genuinely, nearly cancelled. <laughs> you, you think to yourself, oh, it's just in your cynical brain. You're thinking it's just a media exercise, just trying to promote the no, fight. It really wasn't. It, <laughs> it really turns wasn't. out he actually is a mental game. Yeah. So I said to Derek, I said, do you know what you? This is we were at the hearing. I said, Derek, do you realize what you've done to me? We had a coffee. He said, um, I said, this was my one day. I told the same story about my wife, and I've ended up here. And he just looked at me in the eyes. And he said, that's what happens when you deal with the insane. <laughs> That's true. Word for word, what he said to me, and I just thought, "Yeah, you're right." Yeah. <laughs> what should I have expected? And then that's why, when it all, when I thought something else could happen that could be quite bad, that fortunately didn't. Um, that's why I decided, look, let's just do our own thing, you know. But I learned the good thing was though about this, and I, the, the thing I take from it is I learned so much during that period of looking after Derek Chisora. I learned so much. But about how they work, the contracts, the pay-per-view, how the pay-per-views are paid, and how the promoters under promotional deals get more of the pay-per-view than the boxers, and how it works. So I learned so much from that, and it was an, it was actual knowledge that I bought again. But once I got <laughs> to that point, I'd learned what I needed to learn, and this was just going to be a pro- you know. Welcome, uh, welcome, Steve. Just sit down. Let me just write on the board here. This is the. Um the mental chisora part of your exam. <laughs> I'm just going to work through this slowly. What exactly. will best throw a table? <laughs> yeah. But do you know something? Step one. Do you, know, do you know something about him, though? Do you know, and this is true, that man knows his worth. He's actually quite very smart. If you actually, He's very smart. He knows his worth. He knows what he can get. He's actually very smart doing it. Very, very smart. But well, it's, it's good to hear, to be, to be honest. It's just, it, it, it'd be nice if... Um, but it needs to be smart all the time rather than in fits and starts because other times yeah. it does crazy things. So <laughs> It works with... Because um, he's got Don Charles, isn't he? And yeah. So but they've, really... had, they've, had, they've had punch-ups and they have fires. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you you work with Don Charles, essentially, don't yeah. you? So yeah. building the relationships with the trainers is as important Absolutely key. As... Absolutely key because it's the trainers that get in the boxer's ears. So you could be doing a great job with a boxer, but you're not seeing them every day, training them twice a day. So if you've got a poisonous trainer... Your relationship screwed. Which brings us on to a certain other question. Okay, speaking of management and the goings-on, a uh, question from Anonymous. What happened with Natasha Jonas? Okay, so what I'll do here is I'll just give you the whole rundown of the whole of what happened start to finish, and then anybody can make their own mind up. So I got, a phone, I got an email from Natasha Jonas, and she asked me about managing her. So we had a chat on the phone, and I then got on a train to Liverpool and spent the day going to have a meeting with her and her representatives. So they said, oh, we're really keen on working with you. This sounds really good, blah, blah, blah. So I get a call two weeks late, a week later. Yeah, fine, she wants some, but can you come and meet the family? So I didn't go up my car, drive up to Liverpool again. This is already a big ask, go to Liverpool twice. <laughs> isn't it? It is, though, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Two days, well, two days now, this is day two, right? So go to Liverpool meet the family yeah they're really happy brilliant so that's all good so then she said what well, we need to set about getting a trainer and she wanted 
Her number one choice was Robert McCracken to get to train her. From a GB day. From a GB day. So Robert McCracken was number one. Um, I don't think Robert McCracken would have worked with her going to Sheffield. So that died. Um, And her number two choice was Joe Gallagher. So, long story short, she went to Joe Gallagher. I then got a phone call from a couple of people saying, oh, shit, she's with Gallagher. He's poisonous. He'll just poison her against you. Blah, 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 blah. But she's really nice, Natasha. So I've got, you know, no problem. So she goes to Gallagher, a couple of conversations on the phone. Because basically at this point, she didn't have, um, she didn't have a, um, a promotional deal. So I wanted, I think it was in March, to run a, and at my expense, not hers, and it cost 1,200 quid to do this, to run a press conference in Liverpool in March. Because the quicker we get the press conference, the quicker I can utilise that to try and get sponsors and promoters. Gallagher called, he didn't want to do that press conference in March, so he suspended that. We ended up going about a month later. So we were a month behind on the press conference. So I then spend £1,200, we do the press conference. At the same time, I was speaking, first I spoke to Frank Warren, um, I text Frank Warren about her, there was no interest at all from them. Spoke to Eddie Hearn, um, emailed him and spoke to him, and to say that he was he was very cool on the, I'm not saying he wouldn't do it, but he was cool on the idea, would be pretty fair. You could see that he wasn't really that bothered, but it was something that he might do, but it was it was one of them. Um, so basically I speak to, and at the same time, I then had another TV network who were also interested in signing her. So we do the press conference and I then over the next week, I got a two, 5,000 pound sponsorships, which I don't think is that bad going mm. 5,000 years. So that's 10,000 a year. We did one quickly. So I had two 10,000 sponsorships confirmed, which I thought was good going. And she was only after about, I think she was after about 17 grand of sponsorship. That's all she needed. So I'd got, I'd already got 10 grand of a sponsorship. And I had a meeting, so I'd, uh, ten week, ten, uh, two weeks after the press conference, with another TV network who basically were keen to sign us. So my plan was to meet this other TV network, use that as a bit of leverage, once I, if to if need be to go back to Eddie Hearn and say, look, this is what we're going to do. So we've got the two sponsors, done the press conference, got loads of PR from the press conference. So we're now moving in a better direction, but still knowing that Eddie Hearn wasn't mad on her, but we need to apply a bit of pressure. But I said to Natasha, see what the other offer is, because the other offer said to me, whatever Eddie Hearn offers, we'll beat it. On the Wednesday, so obviously, but, I, but what was obviously going on behind the scenes was Joe Gallagher was, you know, going, don't want him, don't want him, don't want him. Because but Joe Gallagher's also a manager. A manager, so there's a conflict. don't realise, a manager a and trainer. There's a conflict, because he doesn't want me to manage her, because he's a manager. But he could have done this before I spent the £1,200 on the press conference. But no, they let me spend the money and everything else. Got the sponsors ready. So on the Wednesday, I got a call from a representative, bearing in mind that I've got the meeting with the next TV company on the Thursday, from the saying, oh, we don't think you're doing a very good job. You haven't really done anything. You haven't. You talk the talk, you don't walk the walk. And I thought, you that is not very fair at all, because I've just <laughs> gone and I've done a press conference the last two weeks, two sponsors, and I've got TV meetings that I'm going to use as leverage against her because he wasn't keen, right? So basically, we want to release. I ended up that day, I said, okay, then. I released her from contract on the basis um, of that, of her representatives ringing me and telling me that, and that was it. £1,200 short, two trips to Liverpool short. <laughs> Well, three if you include the, <laughs> yeah, the press conference. Oh, the press conference, three trips to Liverpool because I've done a press conference. So I'm out of pocket with the press conference. Nobody offered to pay me the money back. 
And Gallagher's then, still got that big sign up in yeah, his, his office that I paid for. Yeah. I, the when he looks at it, Steve Goodwin paid for this. He's big... got Goodwin boxing in the bottom. Every now and then you see it on Sky Sports when you see like Goodwin, Goodwin boxing. And he's, he's, he's gone and took the thing without even asking, put it up in the gym. And, um, and from my point of view, it's probably cost me in total maybe 16, 1700 quid plus the three days that I lost that I could have been earning from my financial world. And that is word for word what. Exactly what happened. And do you know what was actually interesting? The reason she left me, or the representative said, oh, everybody wants to sign her. She needs to fight in the next three weeks. She didn't fight for two months, over two months after that day when they asked me to give the contract back. And the reason he didn't fight for two months is Eddie Hearn wasn't keen on signing her. And they've obviously had to badger him into it. That's what. So I was doing, I was actually doing a brilliant job. I obviously got rang both sponsors and said, don't sponsor her. <laughs> I cancelled the two sponsorships, rightfully so, and I'll save those sponsors for when I need other boxers. But I automatically was not going to let them sponsor her. Because you do have other female boxers that you're working with as well. Yeah, of course. Sam Smith, Angela Hebden. Yeah, and there's there's another one potentially I met the other day. So we want to work with them. And I'd rather work with those people. It was was an untenable position to work. You cannot manage a Joe Gallagher. I think MTK have got one. It might be slightly different with them. But for me, it was impossible to manage because it was just becoming poisonous. So, but the, the immoral thing was they obviously knew they were going to do that before the press conference, but wanted me to spend the money. And I think that's, that's not very nice. That's uh, a, a tragic story really. But it also, it also makes me wonder, um, <laughs> Natasha Jonas, she, it sounds to me like she's been taken for a ride really. Like maybe, mm. maybe in as much as, She's been, she's may well. If she's now signed with Eddie Hearn, I don't, I don't think she's been taken for right. Will he, will he take money off of her that you wouldn't have taken? He'll take more. Yeah, he. I don't know what his deal is with her. Maybe he won't. But I don't think she's not the. She's not lost out of this because I'm sure if I was managing her, I would have got her the same financial deal, if not better, but or equal. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But the point is. It that it that it was been badgering Eddie to do it, and I'm sure we would have done it. I'm sure we would have done it, but it was a case. So I I wanted her to go to somewhere she was wanted, rather than somebody that would have her because they had to have her. But there was a thing with Gallagher all. when he signed it, or like when he was training or started training, that she was going to fight once every month because that was his that was his demand from me that I want her out. She needs to be out twelve seven times this year. It's not happening, and the reason it's not happening that often. Is because Eddie Hearn didn't really want her. Yeah. He will do it now. He'll probably get her a world title. She'll then fight Katie Taylor in a unification, get beaten and retire. That's what's <laughs> going to happen, right? In reality. So, but that's it. He's, he's going to build the fight for him. He knows yeah. what he's doing. Katie Taylor's his golden girl. She'll be used. He'll be done in Ireland. You were done in Ireland. Ryan Burnett undercard. And she, yeah, and, and so, so no, she's not being abused. I don't feel, for one second, she's disadvantaged, apart from the fact she might be paying Joe more money than they would have paid me. But I don't think she's actually disadvantaged from that. I just think I've just had a real shit end of the, of the, of the thing and just been treated bad again. Right. You know, that's all. All right, fair enough. Um, Kev Morrow asks, who's the most difficult of other promoters to do business with? Of the other promoters, sorry. Who's the most difficult promoter to do business with? The ones that don't want to deal with you, maybe. Um, I've dealt. I've, again, it's. You, so is it is it um, is it situation dependent rather than person dependent? It's person dependent. Oh, and I'll give you an example. And I'm, I'm not going to. Mickey Hellier, right? He's another. He's a promoter in London, and he used to have 
a lot of fighters. He used to be the number one in London, and everybody basically, he worked for Mo Pryor, who's now overtaken him. MTK got a lot more fighters. We got a lot more fighters. And I think we us coming on the scene has caused him um, has caused him some problems with me. I, I used to get on with him because when he started, he was our matchmaker. Again, I didn't know what he, I learned from him, um, <laughs> but he was he used to have his fighters on the show, charge us a lot of money, but it, I, it cost I, me. I see through that. I learned from him. I learned. <laughs> I learned well, how it works. I see well, the, what the underlying, the agile wording is, <laughs> the subtext in that now. But I, learned, I mean, he, to, to be honest, he taught me a lot of how it works. And he was, he was to be honest, he was good He was good for me. So it wasn't really a problem. I got all right with him. And I went out, I took him out to, to like dinner once when I was starting off. It was, it was fine. But I think what happened was as we expanded, he started to feel resentful. So, and then he does all these, he did all these, remember these videos he was doing? And he was just slating me off. I've never once slated him. the gym, him. weren't they? Yeah. I've never once ever slated him off, but he was slating me off. So what happens then, he then does an announcement, I'm never supplying Goodwin with fighters because of this, that, and the other. We have put fighters on his shows as opponents, as undercards. We've done that. We do the right thing. But if I ever ask him now for one of his fighters to fight on our show, he just ignores it. So he's difficult to work with because he doesn't want to work reciproc- uh, reciprocally. Um, people like Greg Steen, who works with him, he's fine to deal with. We work to, that's fine. So most most people are okay okay to work with. The bigger promoters, it's very simple. If they want something, they ring you. If they don't want nothing, anything, they don't ring you. It, so the bigger promoters are just do, doing deals for them. If you've got something they want, they'll, be, they'll, they'll look out, they'll be after you. And if they're not, they just... It's a fish in a pond, isn't it? Really? I guess it's yeah. you know the bigger ones will come and look for the little ones when they have a, a requirement. Yeah, they, uh, on the other hand, yeah, that's that's how it works. But so I think in difficult in in small hall boxing, we work with I work with anybody, and I always say to our boxers, we'll work with the devil if it's the right thing to do for you, and as long as it's contractually right, I don't care. I'll work with anyone, so I haven't got a problem working with anyone. Some people have problems working with us, but not for any other reason, not for any logical sensible reason but just because they obviously just they, you know it's a jealousy factor i think uh, matt field asks rather a bit more specific than the other questions so far um steve has a fair number of light heavyweights when's he going to put them in with kirk garvey southern area clash on a typically strong goodwin card kirk garvey's not my problem he's very good I don't. I. I. Uh, my. Pl- my. My basic plan is don't want to fight him. Thank you. So this is. Pro- <laughs> I remember. Uh, I was having a conversation with you once about Jake Ball. I think it yeah. was, and I was chatting with the guy or one of the guys involved in Jake Ball's team, a light heavyweight, and uh, he was saying their plan for Jake Ball was to take him through like the area mm-hmm. title and then English and then you know he got beaten in that McDonough That's fight right. and it kind of it's reset things a bit. But I remember it was before that defeat. And I can't remember, was it Jack Morris, I think you had, who was light heavyweight champion Southern yeah. Area at the time? <clears throat> and uh, I think I mentioned it to you about, oh, Jake Ball's mm-hmm. looking at going down that route. And you said, well, fuck that. We'll, <laughs> we'll just block. We'll find ways to, yeah, we, know, we, if we, we hold the if title. They, if they get their, if Kirk Garvey wants to get, if at some point, and he's mandatory to fight one of our fighters, we will decide whether we want to fight him or not. So Kirk Garvey's career, he's, he's too good. So he's not an obvious target for one of our fighters. We would look for easier fights. So Kurt Garvey's management have a job to do, and good luck with it. <laughs> uh, just playing devil's advocate here, um, he's, t- he's too good. Yeah. But that would be... <laughs> what's your, so what's your reasoning behind not he's a, he's matching a, with someone? Well, he's ABA champion, mm-hmm. so he's got a very good amateur pedigree. 
So I've got a kid. Let's say I'll take. I've got my. I've got people in life southern area like Miles Shinquin, Ollie Patterson down the line. Jordan Joseph will come <coughs> back and fight for it again. So if Jordan Joseph wants to fight for southern area title, and he's not fighting on a big promoter show, so if he's fighting, if he's offered by hypothetically Jake Ball and Eddie Hearn, say we'll give you eight grand, and you can fight him. Then we'll decide. With Jordan, I mean, with Jordan, you've got eight grand for this. You might be a 60-40 underdog or 7-30 underdog, but we might take the fight because you're getting £8,000. Kurt Garvey is not a TV fighter, so he's off TV. So my lads have got to sell tickets on whichever show it is to get paid. Now, he might only earn my fighter 1500 quid or two grand for the fight. Do we want to fight a fight where we're the underdog to earn two grand? Right, okay. Risk-reward again. Risk-reward. If he's a 50-50 fight... If it's a 50-50 fight, yeah, two grand, 1,500. That's why we do 50-50 fights. We do genuine 50-50 fights for your titles. But I'm not going to put my guy in on small hall money when he's the underdog. How Doesn't much do you have to weigh up? Um, it was the guy, Jeffrey Cave, was it, when he took on Lawrence O'Coley? Yeah. Was it O'Coley's debut or second yeah. fight? I can't remember. Well, you, you had to wait. You had to wait. We had the discussion about it. I mean... In hindsight, I think that's probably a mistake. Because you know he's going to go in and get knocked out. Like, yeah, no offence to Jeffrey he, Yeah, he thought, he'd, he thought he'd lose. And I think in hindsight, he desperately wanted to fight on a TV platform. Right. I think that it was an error of judgment for me to allow that to happen. And it's not something... If I, if I went back and had the same decision to make again, I would change the decision. And I wouldn't subject myself to the pressure for that to happen. Why, why was he so desperate to fight on a TV platform? Because they are, the kids are. When, when they can fight on a like, matchroom show at Manchester or whatever it is... They you can't got, blame them. You know, so it's profile. It was just and like, money. And money. And they're right. getting maybe three times the money that they would for, for non, a non-fight. But in, in moving forward... I think sometimes people, that's the other thing, like people never admit when they make mistakes. I should have been saying to him, no, Jeff, we were not taking that fight. Because it, was, it, it wasn't the right fight. To, it wasn't the right fight to take. So that was a mistake. Um, Jack Blair asks, is there a weight class you enjoy promoting the most? Cruiserweights. You've got so many of them, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, love, I love the cruiserweights. Well, we can make some really good fights because if you've got the fight assigned to you and, they've, and, they, uh, and you've got... You can make the fights easier. Give you an example. Mickey Elliott, I'm bringing him up again. He's got a fight called Robin Dupre, right? Promoter manager, 12 and 0, never fought anyone. Sells tickets, produces money, sells tickets, produces money, sells tickets, produces money. We then had Wadi Camacho, a Southern Area champion, and our fan Iqbal as English champion. So I sent Mickey Elliott an email. Mickey, I have the Southern Area champion and I have the English champion. Both of them will fight Robin Dupree. And if you want, we'll even do it on your shows. Either one will fight on your show. What do you reckon? I will come back to you shortly. <laughs> Nothing's happened since. <laughs> how, how shortly ago was this? Shortly, about three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's now in Vegas with his fighters, whatever. But what I'm giving as an example is you can't make these fights easily because either the boxer's got no no bottle, either the bo- boxer's scared of fighting anybody, <clears throat> or the manager is thinking, no, I'd rather just make another grand off him ne- next month by putting him on a home show fighting a six, fighting a you know a bus driver for Lithuania. Now we all know that these sort of fights, the the, the learning fights, we, we do that when they're getting to five and oh six and oh seven and oh, but it becomes a point of boxer's career. I think it's ten. So, Ten's a threshold. There's got to be a point, whatever you call it. Yeah. I get pissed off. There are certain ones. You know, you've handled 
I can't think of any off the top of my head right now that you've got in the stable, but ones that you see progress through, and they're like they're sixteen and zero, and you'll chat to them and they're talking about. You don't like, see any mine like that, do you? No, no. Uh, no. There's one that sticks out. I know, my mind. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but he's not yours anymore, so he was never from... mine. He fought on our shows, but he was. Ne- I never managed. Oh, okay, him. Never fair managed enough. Him. Fair enough. Never managed. Um, <laughs> but you know they'll, they'll talk about I'm um, two fights away from a title I'm three fights from a title I'm going to fight for a title in six months big fights around the corner they're fucking they're Facebook boxers that are like they want to have that profile and all the people believe it and then you know they'll be 14 and 0 fighting again and anyone who's educated enough within the sport will know what's going to happen in their 15th fight but they're still selling the dream and the vision to their, their mates and their friends and their family. So they've got to fork out 35, 40 quid to come down to your call, watch them knock over another Latvian. Which I, I don't have an issue with that whatsoever, up to like 10 fights. But after 10, you've really got a, you Step know, it's up. a hard sell. If you take off Nick Bell, 9-0 and when he come to me, one warm-up, straight in English title. Yeah. Wins the English title. Okay, he fought Waddy, but we made that fight. It was easy to make the fight because both Waddy and our family were with us. But you see the problem making fights when you get the thing now... Kirk Garvey's a different option because Kirk Garvey would happily fight anyone. He's different. Now, he's not Robin Dupre. Kirk Garvey will fight anyone. He will. He's, he's lost. He did lose to a journeyman, but he's a decent fighter and he's obviously got some metal about him. Then it becomes a slightly different thing in that then you have to look at, I'm not going to put my fight in with Kirk Garvey if I think he's going to lose to him. What so, about Lawrence O'Coley and well, Isaac he's Chamberlain? He's definitely going to lose. Sorry, that's a, is it, right? no, not because you said you'd do 50-50 fights. You'd do 50-50, but if I think that if my fight is the underdog... Hammered. If he's going to be the underdog. Yeah. If, if, I'm, I'm not, if I want to win a Southern Area... If I can get my fighter in position to win a Southern Area champion, being a champion at any weight category, then I'm going to try and find the best opponent. Jamani Camiro, who I look after, had only had five fights. He's very unusual, and he'd lost one of them. I put him in for a Southern Area title. We fought a guy from Portsmouth undefeated. But I thought it was right. Jamani Camiro won the Southern Area title. The reason I pitched him in with an undefeated fighter was I believed he was going to win. And we did win the title. So that's my judgment as a manager to make sure. I'm not going to put a 22-year-old boy in with an ABA champion to lose a Southern no, Area title. I, I think that makes perfect sense as well. Because at the end of the day, you, you, can, you can argue it several ways. But ultimately, if you're looking, if you're sort of looking around that 50% chance of winning mark you're actually providing the best value in terms of sporting entertainment and in terms of if you're just feeding someone to someone i know it happens but people see it coming a mile off a lot of the time especially as martin sort of sort of hinted at there educated boxing fans you know well this is another lithuanian taxi driver as gets heavily mentioned on this podcast (laughs) but when you see a 50 50 fight that's the best thing you can do as a manager or as a promoter, whatever guys it happens to be. Like putting forward that has got to be the best from a fan's perspective of seeing it. So, I, well, Kurt Garvey's people though are looking for fights in their favour. If they want a fifty-fifty, go and fight Jake Ball. He's their weight in his title. So I can see why yeah. they would do that if of it's course. financially viable for you to have a walkover. But it's but as a manager, I'm the manager. I'm smart. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So so therefore, I'm I'm manoeuvring my fighters. Oh, well, you don't. Uh, titles are not actually for holding. Titles are for winning and using them to progress your career to the next title. I have no problem with my fighter winning a title, and if the challenge is too stiff, we walk from that title and then we pursue the next title up. That's really important management. But therefore, when you see fighters that are dangerous, you don't do it. An example, another <coughs> one: Wally Camacho, Southern Area Champion. Eddie Hearn's chasing Lawrence Coley to fight Wally Camacho. We received an offer from Eddie Hearn to fight Wadi Camacho. Now, 
Waddy Camacho, we set a price that we wanted for that fight. And Eddie Hearn wouldn't pay it. We were £1,000 out and he wouldn't pay the extra 1000 so it was down to Eddie. But he I needs did... to fill up that Bentley, doesn't he? Yeah. Bless him. Yeah. So he wouldn't pay the extra 1000 so Waddy's not taking it. He'll fight Jose Lopez in what is truly a 50-50 fight. And if he beats Jose Lopez, he might get a rematch with Iqbal. That's what he wants. It's a good fight, that. Yeah. Um, but the point with that is you've got to evaluate each fighter's Situation. If he fights Lawrence Acoli, he hasn't got it. Lawrence Acoli then called out Arthur and Iqbal. We said, yes, please, we'll have that now. <laughs> Isaac Chamberlain mentioned he wanted to step up in class. Arthur and Iqbal, English champion. Yes, please, we'll have that now. But that's neither fucking fight. shocking. Neither, that... one, neither want to fight. And they all go quiet. Isaac Chamberlain won the southern area, ducked a rematch with Wadi Camacho that was ordered because it should have been... The, the rules of boxing meant what he should have won the fight because Chamberlain should have been stopped. He vacated after we won the purse bid for the rematch, walked away from the title, didn't want to fight Camacho, wanted to step up and fought another Lithuanian bin, bin man, and that's all he's done since. Then he wants to step up again. We offer him an English title shot, and if Eddie didn't want to stage it, we'll stage it. Didn't want it. I mean, this, this is ridiculous. That's shocking. That handling of Isaac Chamberlain's terrible. And like, I think... You know, as people that just want to see good fights in the sport and like ignore the business side of it, the money, so you just want to see good fights. But who's, but who's at fault though? Because we don't know. I don't blame Isaac for No, because it. I, I think... met, I, I, I think Isaac showed real bottle in the fight of Waddy when his yeah. shoulder went. So I've met Isaac and I, I don't think you can attribute it necessarily to the boxer. The same as Robin Dupree. It may be him, it may be his manager with Isaac Chamberlain. But these levels, at that level, you've got to go in. At but that level you've got but to then I also in. think, like, if I'm Isaac Chamberlain, he's got to take... Like, it may not be him. He may not be bottling it from fighting Waddy or bottling it from fighting Arfan, but he is bottling it from sorting out his manager. Because his man- he ought to be on to his manager saying, like, why are you turning that down? I want competitive title fights. Hmm. Not going, nah, turn it down so I can fight Iglog, Leglov, or whatever. But the, 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 the Akoli thing, though, because... Aco- and Exactly. <laughs> and it'd be interesting to see who he fights next, Chamberlain. He probably yeah. won't find anybody much better. Um... But you, again, you've got Akoli calling people out because he thinks everybody's going to be scared of him. And Arthur just turns around and says, okay, you want to get chinned? I'll, I'll chin you and derail the train. No, 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 we don't want that. And I spoke to Eddie about that. I said, we'll do it. I said, no problem, we'll do it. No, 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 we, we, want, to, we want to... And then he sends Arthur a message and says, oh, don't worry, your turn will come in time. Fantastic, really good. Well, then send us Chamberlain then. Chamberlain, once he's, it's just... that That's no good because there's a different responsibility when you have a TV platform than when you're doing small hall stuff. When the fighter's earning less money, then they've got to be built. When they're earning the money they're earning on TV, they've got to proper fights. Otherwise, you know, that next-gen show, let's see what, what it looks like. But you don't want to see left beating right. And you don't want to see it looking like a normal small but hall show. Then you hear about, like... Because um, that's one of our pet hates, I'm sure, people that listen regularly. We're talking about, like, Anthony Fowler knocking over crap. crap fighters. But then they were talking about... Um, Joe Joyce, like when he was going to be fighting David Allen, I think he offered him that for his debut fight. Like that's an incredible. If that's how you started off, but that's you know the the Lomachenko side of it. Lomachenko fighting for world titles. You know, well, let me tell Mariaga. let me tell you, Joe Joyce. I know who Joe Joyce is fighting. Um, who's going to be fighting? And it's a proper fight, and that's what you call people that want to step up and see how good they are. But that's what you should. Fight. That's what we should be expecting, mm. rather than accepting Anthony Fowler versus another sack of shite that we don't care about, and Lawrence Acoli. Um, who was it? He fought Russ Henshaw, was Russ it? Henshaw. Like Russ Henshaw, I've seen him on your shows. Like he built up a record, and then he's kind of you know he's lost that record now. And 
he's a game enough competitor, but everyone knew he wasn't going to go in and do. But they did. They did want to fight Waddy, but Waddy's coming off the back of a of a bad stoppage loss, right? So to go in with a Coley on the back of a stoppage loss, go and fight the guy that gave him the stoppage loss. Yeah, yeah. Fight don't, the don't fight the guy that's just been stopped in the fourth because Waddy had a he had a bet. Waddy had a bet. He just went too gung ho and got caught. Waddy's fighting now. Jose who's not the biggest punches. It gives him a chance of coming back. Then maybe he'll fight Akoli if, if if he wins that, or or Jose might want to fight. I think Jose wants to fight Chamberlain, um, but yeah, it's just it's just nonsense. Go and fight the guy that beat him. Yeah, but then playing devil's advocate to that, let's go on to Frank Buglioni yeah. and the whole. Let's clarify like the Yarde, Callum Johnson. Oh, that nonsense. Yeah, because I'm sure you know as a manager of Frank Buglioni, people probably want to know. What's the truth behind it all? Well, the truth is really simple. Forget all the smoke and mirrors, the bullshit press conference, the bullshit <laughs> press conference about, about a fight that's never going to... Talking about a fight that's never going to happen. Most of the press conference will talk about a fight that isn't happening. Yeah. It's so I, bizarre. I found that really weird. It was weird, just very weird. I just thought, so when it was a press conference, I assumed they were going to announce his, his step-up opponent. But the interesting thing is, let, let's, let's go down this, and this is just so funny. The whole thing is ridiculous. So here we are, Frank Buglioni, who wants to win the Lonsdale belt outright. We had a meeting with Frank Warren at the same time of Eddie Hearn. And Frank made it clear to both promoters that he wanted to win a Lonsdale belt outright. And the re- in the end, we chose to go to Eddie Hearn. And that was because we felt that Frank may be pushed into the a fight. The WBO European. Whatever. He, so we wanted to do a thing. And, and Eddie was offering more money than Frank. So offered more money. Gave us more control. We knew what we had to do. So he wants to win the British. He's not like, the WBO rankings. Don't really mean anything. <laughs> Can't Frank, you just say rankings? It doesn't even. Mean, I, I I really just specifying WBO, but but the WBO talk- is very easy to get it. Basically, I could we could Frank's Frank is very wealthy and his dad's very wealthy. If we want or an Eddie, if we wanted to go and get a WBO ranking, we could go tomorrow and go fight for a WBO Intercontinental Title. On a Eddie Earn show in between, after he's done the Callum Johnson and get a ranking in the top fifteen, does we could do it quite comfortably. The fact that Anthony Yarde sits at number eight in the show, yeah. like that's embarrassing. He beat Bir- he beat Biryani, who's fucking... it's just really he's not, anyway. So anyway, so the point is Frank's now. So the point is this: is very simple. We do not decide who is mandatory for the British title. Myself, Frank, Eddie Hearn have no say. The boxing board nominated Callum Johnson. If the boxing board had nom, we thought we thought Anthony Yard would possibly was favourite to get the nomination. So we thought it was going to be Yard. So Frank's on Twitter going, "Yeah, I look forward to it. No problem." Because Frank's going to fight Anthony Yard. If he's mandatory, we'll fight Anthony Yard. As it happened, the board nominated Callum Johnson, Commonwealth champion. So who really? And you're going to stand out. He's been. He's a Commonwealth champion. Anthony Yard's got a number eight ranking by knocking over some Hungarian, dust dustman or whatever he was, but. That's how he's got it. So there's no way Anthony Yard is ranked above Callum Johnson in any shape or form of any on what he's done. But but we would have took Anthony Yard, it's clear. But we didn't, we got Callum Johnson. If we took Anthony Yard, Callum Johnson would have had to agree for Frank to step aside. Well, he's not going to do that. So Frank's got to fight and when Callum you're talking Johnson. talking at world level, you do get step-aside money, but you're yeah. not going to get that at a British title. No. Like, so you would have had to say, Callum, will you wait six months to fight for the British title while Frank goes and deals with Anthony Yard? Of course not. And so he was also mandated to fight Burton. So the simple thing is, Frank fights him, and they nominated Yard to fight Burton. They don't want to fight Burton. 
reason why Burton's all wrong for Yard, tall, strong, rangy, probably will give him murders. I think Burton beats Yard. No, personally. the reason is because they want the winner, not the loser. Yeah, of course but... I do. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to add, this is really funny. You're going to love the end bit of this. <laughs> so, they want the winner. The reason for all this stuff, they want the winner, not the loser, right? Who did they then offer subsequently to fight Anthony Yard? Ricky Summers. Ricky Summers, who just Frank Buglioni just beat. <laughs> yep. It's embarrassing. They've offered Ricky Summers the fight on the basis they wanted him to step up and they did want to fight the loser. Frank just beat Ricky Summers. It's rubbish. If you listen, right, Anthony Yard, <laughs> or anyone from that team... doesn't make any sense, does it? It's total bollocks, right? As a fight fan, just go and fucking fight Hosea Burton. Go fight him. And if you're good enough, you'll beat him and that's brilliant. And then you'll fight Frank Buglioni in your, your second fight from today. Well, maybe listening to although him. Frank doesn't have to do that fight because he's entitled to a voluntary after. Oh, that's fight. true. So and it, and again, he may do it. But the point is, he will be mandatory. He'll be mandatory. He'll be mandatory. He'll get the British title. And if it's the next fight, Frank may decide he'll take yard. He'll take the mandatory early if the money's better than than doing a voluntary. Right. So that's that's something for us to look at. But at the moment, he has to fight Callum Johnson for the British title. And Frank Warren did say, well, his next fight after that is Jose Burton. It's actually not. It's not the third fight. He could choose his third fight. So it's not true. That's rubbish. It's not lined up for him to fight two Gallagher fighters. So, obviously, a step up from fighting Frank Buglioni and anybody he's beaten is to fight Ricky Summers, who he's beaten. <laughs> it's crackers. The whole thing's mad. So just get on with it. Fight, fight Jose Burton, and beat him and prove it. But <laughs> yeah. you won't. You're going to fight somebody lower. It's just nonsense. I don't know what they're... But they're obviously trying to um, cause a stink and make, and make Yard, make Franks do it. But we're not, we're not going to be derailed. You know, Frank Formal was saying, don't listen to those advisors around you. I'm giving you... A... And he said to Frank, yeah, I've, offered, I've offered... Well, he said, I've offered 80 grand. This is what he said. Which is more money than you've ever got paid before. Well, that's a bad admission. Because Frank Buglioni fought for a world title. So you're telling me that he earned less than 80 grand for the world title? When Frank Warren was... Promoting. So you're now saying... I mean, in my opinion, you would expect more than 80,000 to fight for a world title. Against Fedor Chudinov as well, who at the time was just a record. So, well, I don't, again, I don't know, but that's what, the, I'm just repeating what was said. Yeah. So I just think that was a, I, I haven't asked Frank what he got paid. I'm sure it's, confid it's confidential, but from Frank's admission, it was more money than he's ever received. So I can only assume he earned less than 80,000, which I, I was, I was, a bit, I was very surprised that he earned less than 80,000 for a world title. Yeah. So um, I just think it was all smoke smooth, but I understand what they're trying to do is build a product at BT. And I think, to be honest, on the positive side, I think they're putting together some really good shows on BT Sport, and I think they are really doing a good job so far. Um, but there's no point... They should have just done a press conference about something positive rather than this. This is negative, because it's not going to happen. It was just it was just daft. Yeah. But, I mean, they're making a good thing with, you know, Yard and Dubois, I think, two wrecking balls. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Just don't make a big noise about it in terms of those fights, because, you know, Dubois is going to fight AJ Carter for some My God, that's going to be an annihilation. Do you know what? That, like, shouldn't, that, that, in my opinion, honest opinion, you know when we're talking about fighters that are going to get hurt, yeah. uh, Jeffrey Cave, I regret putting him in with... Um, a Coley. A Coley. But Jeffrey Cave, had, uh, had, had at that point, uh, his trainer thought he had a very good chin, da 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 da, da. AJ Carter has been his last fight had oxygen, and I've seen him be knocked out twice cold. But Sokolowski as well. Sokolowski. So that that to me is really. Do you not feel that's that? I think that it's disgusting. I, I personally think I don't it's like disgusting. that. I, I won't want to watch that fight. So no. why why would they put him in with Dubois then? Money, right? That's it. As simple as I suppose. Um, okay, can I just ask why? 
Is Frank Bruglioni wanting to win the British uh, British title outright? What what benefits are there to that? Well, you become a Lonsdale belt. That's a thing he's got. You become you keep the Lonsdale belt for life. It's prestige and prestige because one of those people that always has won that. It's it's something that a lot of boxers. Did you get like a, a specific amount of prize money, or did you get no. No, just Skeet purely just recently? So Bradley Skeet won it against Day Elevens, won it outright. So people would say, you know, maybe he's been holding his career back when he could be you know, fighting for the WBO number eight position, which, <laughs> um, but, you know, he potentially has held his career back fighting the likes of Shane Singleton, Day 11s, etc. But he could have moved on and tried to, to go above that. So do, um, does it, have you, do you know if he has ambitions after that to move to move forward? Well, title. That's what he wants after that. Yeah. He wants to win the British title. He wants Nathan Cleverley, if he's still world champion, to fight for, he wants to get a world title shot with Nathan Cleverley. That's his ultimate aim. Um, but he wants to win the British title first and win it outright. And the fight against Callum Johnson is not an easy fight for, no. the, for, for at all. Um, but that's his ambition. That's what he wants. And he's always said that's what he wants. So my job, since I managed him, has been to deliver the mandate that he asked me to when he came to me at the start. That's what we're working on. Okay. Um uh, Titch goes on to talk about... Um... This is uh, Tasha that comes down with Paddy Fitzpatrick. Oh, okay. Um... I'd like to see small hall shows available regularly to fans. And we've spoken on this pod before about the uh, seemingly absurdness of uh, broadcasting small hall shows across Facebook. Um, because, you know, what do you get out of it? And it potentially harms the shows. Um, she goes on to say, Sky would dilute the uniqueness of the shows. What is the best way to distribute the small hall shows? Is there one? It's two questions, isn't it? I think, like, there's one, how do you distribute it without affecting the business side? And two, how do you distribute it without sanitising it and turn it into a, you know, making it look like an O2 mm. event? The problem you've got is when you are dealing with small shows, boxers are earning their money by selling tickets. So anything you do in terms of putting that out, that content out there live, is going to affect the bo- the promoters going to lose more money probably than they're losing in the first place, and the boxers are going to earn less money. So unless there is financial gain from somewhere to do it, it's just an ego thing for the promoter. It's just the promoter flashing his ego, being pictured, showing oh my fight, I'm showing my fights on on thing. It makes absolutely zero financial sense. So if somebody wants to watch smaller boxing, buy a ticket, go and pay for it and go and support boxing by walking through the front door. You can't sit at home, get it for free, unless somebody's going to pay for it. And with the amount of promoters that are doing this, seemingly just putting their shows on Facebook, or or even YouTube, you're just giving away something for nothing. The, the Dove Box show, I mean, I'll speak about it because you probably can't, but <laughs> the Dove Box show they did on Facebook recently from York Hall, they were streaming it live, and the camera focused on the ring and then the little bit either side and above. And there were maybe like 15 people in 100 seats that you could see. And I sat thinking, I'm watching this for free. And, like and, other and people, people, people wouldn't... You know, I'm not being funny. If I was going to watch a small hall show and I was interest, half interested in going, so some good fights on. Let's say, for example, September the 9th, Josh's show. You've got Joel McIntyre against Conway. We've got a couple of other good fights on. A couple of them are wobbling at the moment. We're trying to sort them out. But let's say, for example, I'm a casual fan. I think, oh, I want to go and watch that. It's some really good, nice entertainment. And I find that it's being put online free. And I can put it onto my telly and sit at home with a few beers and watch it with mates. I'm going to sit at home, watch it on telly with a few mates. Yes. 
So you could, you could have four people going, four tickets lost. Your mate who's fighting on there, who you're not really a boxing fan anyway, you just want to watch him fight, you're going to sit down and watch it on telly. It's it's all about selling. What they what they do, though, they tell some of the hotel boxers, oh, it's fantastic, you're getting all these views. Exposure, Exposure. that's the right. key word. And then what they do is, at the end of it, they say on Facebook, they go, oh, we had 25,000 views. What you had was 25,000 clicks for more than three seconds, but you actually <laughs> had, on average, about 80 or 90 people watching it at any one time. Sometimes can go up to two or 300. So your real viewership, your real average viewership, was about 300 people watching it at different times. And what's happened is everyone has not watched it for the whole entirety. They've clicked in for the fight, clicked out for the fight, clicked in for a fight, clicked out for a fight, just clicking back in to see if their mate's on. It's absolutely financial madness. Um, talking, this I think it works quite neatly to sit on here, Je suis Zugi, <laughs> or Zug, or Z- TJ Cummins, asks, uh, or sort of mentions, boxing on TV seems to be at a bit of a crossroads. Where does Steve see the sport going? Free to air or pay-per-view? Um, and I think he then goes on to pay-per-view off subscription TV. Um, frankly, you know, where do you see it going? Well, I think you've, you need more broadcasters. There's a new broadcasting deal obviously been announced with David Hay, with Dave. You've got ITV, but I don't think anybody knows what's really going on there. You've got BT Sport, you've got the um, Channel 5, but I'm sure they're not been, then Channel 5 have not been too enamoured with what the disaster that happened with the McGuigans. Um, everything else. Now, in America, there's a new promotional, and I can't, I'm not sure I'm allowed to, but there's a new big promoter come out, very well known, who's actually doing... He's doing. He's a. They're putting a lot of money into sports science and good fighters, but they're doing it free streaming. They've got no TV deal. They're doing free streaming in America. Now they can probably afford to do it because. But again, I'd imagine you'll let half empty arenas there when they do it. But if you can monetize it through the sponsorship, or yes, through the if you get enough, if you get enough people, doing then I get that. But a small hall stuff isn't going to. I'm not that, seeing the model over see, here where it works. Yeah, that, I, I, the, in my mind, when you sort of talked about the streaming, the only thing I could think of would be like the banners you get on the Bloomberg channel and stuff like that. That's literally the only thing I could think that you, the way you could monetize it. And we could we could have an advert in between the fights. You could, you could play. You sell could, the yeah. ring apron. Yeah, that's, that's yeah you, you just got to get eyes on actual adverts, yeah. haven't you? I suppose, but it's, it's difficult. I, th- I think we're way away from that. We're we're a bit away from that. Yeah, I think anybody wanting to, I mean, you've got anybody wanting to sponsor is logically t- tells me that that something like a Dave Channel, and I I don't know their business model, but I would assume that they're going to get most of their revenue from advertising for that because obviously they're going to hit a lot of viewers, more viewers than. Um, much more viewers than Sky will get. So I think that they've got really good advertising capabilities on a free-to-air channel. And that's how I think they're going to start to get revenue. See, David Hayes got a, um, the advantage that he seems to, he can fight just a, a nobody and he gets so not, many people. He's, he's, not fight, he's not fighting, though. Oh, okay, he's just promoting. Right. He's promoting. He's set up a promotional arm and he's got a TV deal and over three years. Oh, of course. So Joe Joyce is the anchor for it. Yeah. So that's what you've got. So, But you're going to get... So they'll... I mean, I don't know whether they're being paid or not paid, but I know a lot of TV companies now are looking to follow the model model in America, which is they will produce it, but they won't give the promoter any money, and they leave the promoter to get money from other sources. That's the model that I know that they're they're floating around. That's a very hard model to make work unless you're going to invest quite a bit of money into doing it. But So that's the problem with TV is they don't want to pay. And I think... You've got to understand, I think you do understand TV companies not wanting to pay when you could have, for example, Frampton got cancelled because he slipped in the shower, but in effect, 
why wasn't the rest of the card good enough to show? Why did they not mm. proceed with the card yep. without yeah. Frampton? Why? Why would the TV company... If I was a TV company, Channel 5, I'd be going, it's a real shame the top of the bill's off, but we're going to run with the, with the rest of the You need to card. solve the ticket problem of people that want refunds and things. Yes. But are still on that TV but it's, a stra- it's a strange thing for me. and I've never been... Nobody's asked that question. But the question is, why would you have pulled the whole show when all the TV production units would have been there, all the costs have been paid? It would have been set up because it was on the Friday that it happened. Yeah. It wouldn't have, You know, it wasn't like they were going to set it all up Saturday afternoon. No, so I thought, I, I just wasn't sure. And again, you could have done something like giving people half the money back or something like that. Or done something, people have booked the hotel, so they've come for the night, they paid the travel, they're not going to get the travel refund. Now, Channel 5 as a broadcaster is going to turn around and go, look what's happened with boxing, we've just lost uh, a thing. So I don't know. show who, Home Alone 4 again now. Yeah, so I don't, yeah, so I don't, know, I don't know what happens. I think it's hard for a broadcaster because the amount of shows that have been cancelled, if you take, say, Frank Warren before... There were quite a few shows that have been cancelled last minute, so it does affect cut scheduling. And, it, and I understand why they cancel shows if they lose certain fights, and it does. But boxing is so unpredictable with injuries, pullouts that it's hard for TV networks to be sure these fights are going to take place. What do you reckon to Liam Williams, Liam Smith ending up in Newcastle? I can't get my head around. Well, this it doesn't one. make any sense. What Eddie Hearn's been good at is getting a fighter building their profile in the local area, and that's he has shown the model. Of how to sell out arenas. Building local hubs. Yes. And then monetizing those. Yeah. But... And the second problem is, Eddie Hearn done a next-gen show up there in the North East. It was, it was bombed. Bomb. There was nobody there. So you've now gone back to an area which has proved to bomb with non-local fighters. So I guess all he's going to do is put a load of um, local fighters on the There's undercard. There's the Leather Brothers, isn't there, I think, that'll end up on it. Yeah. Uh, Josh and I can't remember the other one, but... Yeah, I don't get. You've got a man from South Wales in Liam Williams and a man from Liverpool in Liam Smith, and you take them to Newcastle. It's just there must there must be a logic. The thing about Frank Warren is he's been around for a lot of years, so that I'm sure they don't just do this without having any thought. They must have a reason. But one, I mean, I, I don't just, know. I can't get my head around why not do it in Birmingham. Birmingham, like, is the you know, it's <laughs> equidistant to. Both South Wales and Liverpool, two hours from each. That's a question Coogan Cassius should ask him on the next thing. Oh, fucking Coogan Cassius, don't ask anything. It's... No, but he should, he should. he's one that gets access to this, he should ask that question. No, I agree. He? I agree. Because, I, because you know what the thing is? We can't answer that because it doesn't make any logical sense no. to us. No. Um, Riku asks, with BT, Sports, uh, BT, Sky Sports, ITV, Dave and potentially others airing boxing, do you feel like it's easier to get your fighters on TV than ever before? It becomes easier. It becomes e. It becomes easier because, but to get them a con, you want them on the left hand side of the bill, which is um, the home side. The home side. So I think what it does is it gives. It depends on the relationship we have with the promoter, but it it, it will definitely is becoming easier. But I think the most important thing is, it's not just getting one there. You've got to get your fighters like Frank Buglioni to a certain level where the TV companies want them. If you take a fighter to a TV um, a TV promoter and they don't really want them, which is the same thing I was saying with Natasha Jonas, the deal you're going to get is going to be crap. Mm. So you need to wait and go to a TV company. When you have a fighter, a lot of anecdotes could be built into a TV fighter, though. Um, but when they want him, you can then get him a really good deal. If you go there capping and begging them, you get shit deals. And I, I can tell you there's a fighter that fought top of the bill. We were all going to scratch our heads. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you after. <laughs> fought on the top of the bill on a Sky show 
at some point over the past. And I was told he got paid three thousand pounds. Fuck! What on a Saturday fight night? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a big show, but but he got three. And that may be that may be wrong. But if that is true, if that is true, then and I also know that another fighter on a on a network that you would expect to get a lot of money, who was one of the main attractions, not on a Sky show, got six grand. So and I know that fact. So. You are sitting in a situation where you need to... Obviously, when the managers have done those deals, they've left themselves what they haven't done. So I'd say the management leaves a little bit to be desired of those fighters because a promoter, as I always say, is going to get the best terms for them. This is why I consider myself to be a really good manager in that I get the right terms for the right fights, even at a lower level. I took Martin Hillman to fight Jamie Spade, just coming off the record, for Southern Area title in Kent. I got him crap money, right? Crap, it wasn't great money, really rubbish money. But I said to him, we're going to win. I then got in that fight, because all he wanted to do was get on Sky again, Jamie, one last go. Then I got in the Bellotti fight on Sky. So sometimes you've got to judge when to take bad money to get the good money. But these fighters that have done these deals, then they need the manager needs to be asking questions. But knowing what I know about the level of management, and boxers don't know this, that would be fairly... Um, Fairly common. Makes me think about Charles Martin. Charles Martin. <laughs> you took Tom Dallas over. Yeah, took Tom Dallas. Charles <laughs> Martin. Yeah, yeah. Tom, we we had um, Charles Bergdahl. Yeah, that, that was that was actually really enjoyable. Well, it was for Kevin and Josh. They got the. Do you know what happened? This is how nice I am to them. Do you know they? Kevin being your head of boxing. Yeah, and Josh, my son. We, so what happened was we goes to goes to America to New York, and I'd I'd done I'd arranged a fight. Through a friend of mine. So this is Tom Dallas. Tom Dallas fine Prince Charles Martin. So the I, undercard of a Klitschko. A Klitschko against, against Brian Jennings. So I'd done this deal, right, and um, which was great. And they paid for me to fly over. So that was great. So it was all perfect so far. I didn't get my family saying to me, huh, you're going to New York without us. So all of a sudden, I've got three extra passengers. That's my wife, my daughter, and my son. Then I thought I couldn't leave Kevin at home, so I paid for him to come over as well. <laughs> so now this is costing me serious amounts of money. <laughs> so we go to we go to Madison Square Garden. Only two passes. So I let Kevin Josh go in the passes. I paid a hundred quid to go and sit sit upstairs in Madison Square Garden <laughs> to watch Tom Dallas get knocked over. In yeah, a so I've done the whole thing, Martin. and I end up with a hundred pound seat in the in the top. <laughs> with with my wife. So then I go to when these when my when Josh or Kev everything I say. I, I let you and they went in the corner didn't they they went in the corner with him they had a great experience and um, but yeah it was but again for Tom Dallas I negotiated I wasn't his manager but his manager was Mark Rose a nice guy I negotiated for him and rang Mark up said you want the fight and it was it was really good it was a great experience for everybody but yeah I think that's you've got to be able to to try and negotiate and, and know your fighter's worth but Frank Buglioni was a perfect example he'd let me do it and then we could then negotiate from strength too many fighters take TV deals before they're ready. They're better off doing a few extra small hall ones or getting to the title level and proving themselves before they actually they actually go there. Wadi Camacho, I'll give you an example. You know when he fought Isaac Chamberlain for... Yeah, that was the next gen next show, gen. wasn't it? I took that fight, but I had an option. If he won, I got him on Sky in December. Oh, right. So I had that built into the contract of Eddie Hearn. That was built into that fight. If he beat Isaac, he got a Sky date. Now... That was what I did for that. They're the sort of extra bits you've got to sometimes <coughs> think of because they needed that fight. 
it and works both ways, doesn't it? Because you need people to be managed correctly. Because you hear the horror stories of like somebody fighting on a certain promoter, you know, perhaps with a TV deal somewhere. And they've got options in their contract that if I beat the home fighter, I'm suddenly now obliged to to stay with that promoter to do this that, and the other under what terms? So you need as a you, you need, need to, the advice, you need advice, and then you've got to remember that what will happen though is that sometimes you could do you could be advising the boxer what to do, and then the promoter could ring the boxer directly, fill the wheels with rubbish, and you're positioned under mind. You need the boxer to be smart enough to understand what you're trying to achieve. And if not, sometimes what managers will now do is they'll just sign it because they don't because they know that if they don't sign it, the box will probably be influenced by somebody else to sign it. And the man, you know, so it's a very difficult, um, very difficult scenario. But yes, I mean, I consider myself to be a really good manager, and there are other managers out there that I think are, are very good as well in negotiating good deals. I think there are there's some, and even some of the people I don't get on with, I think are good managers at negotiating fair deals. Um, so I'm very fair to people's to people you know to people's strengths, um, but it, yeah, it's it's it is a different skill, and most managers out there couldn't negotiate properly. Um, David McGinley asks. He's our VIP listener. We met him on the piss <laughs> when we went down <laughs> oh, to uh, Javon Davis. He came to meet us. Yeah, oh, okay. Walsh. Oh, did you? Yeah, he mm. met us at. Uh, oh, I was going to say we just about Newcastle. If you're thinking to buy a ticket, don't wait for the free giveaways because there'll be loads wait of them. Wait for the competition. <laughs> Join the, the legendary. Because that that I don't the think is competition. <laughs> but I was speaking to another promoter about this the other week, and he was ta- they were talking about giveaways and stuff. And I said, my advice to you is do not do giveaways because I think that doing giveaways devalues your product because everybody then realises this is what happens. And I think it's really, really important. Not, I, I better again, buy a ticket before the giveaways start. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> and I do think it's a very strange thing because when it becomes that obvious, um, mm. I mean, we will sometimes do a competition to give away two tickets for something or other, but somebody asks us to do it. But we won't do enter and everybody's a winner because yeah, it's yeah. just, you know... <laughs> Um, it's effectively broadcasting the thing, you know, if if you're bringing people in that aren't haven't paid in the first place, we might as well just broadcast. Oh, you know, I mean, and, and I actually think the thing is the quality of shows that, for example, now are on BT Sport, I think they, des- genuinely, I think they deserve to sell out their cards because they're brilliant. They're putting on really good shows, yeah. really good shows. And I think you could argue that in cases now, they're putting on better shows than Sky. Do you think that this new sort of, um, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and say it's like a like a revival of British boxing and that's to, that's to suggest it was in the it was dying but what I mean is it's sort of flourishing especially with BT coming into it do you think that will enhance the quality of British boxing do you think it needs enhancing or do you think it just needs more exposure well what's happening with you can see with say BT Sport they are forcing fighters to fight each other now Frank Warren's model as a promoter and he was the best at it by a mile was getting a young fighter developing them through on a slow pace and delivering them to a world title and there was nobody better in the history of boxing than Frank Warren to be able to do that for a fighter what's basically happening now is the TV networks are not willing to be that patient they're now saying we're not going to have a load of knockover jobs now Sky seem a little bit more happy to do that on certain occasions but BT seems to be... I mean, Sammy McNess, who fought a senior Byfield as 5-0, and that's a hard fight for a 5-0 and novice who's not fought anybody, and he got battered. But the thing is, the old Frank Warren would have built him along a lot slower. So I, I think that the networks now are demanding bigger fights. That's actually really good for the sport and for the public. Maybe not so good for fighters' long-term careers, but then as, as, as supporters and people that watch it, I think it's better for us. 
Oh, definitely. Because as a as BT, you want you don't want your you know your Arsenal playing um, Wickham and Swindon for three years until finally you pitch them against Chelsea. You, they want exactly. they want big fights. They want big. They want something that for their viewers to be able to get their teeth into. Um, so as we try and do on a small horse scene, we're, we're we're trying as a as a group and and each one to to make fights that are actually worth watching. Too many small hall shows. That's what you've got. You've got 20, 10 fights, 12 fights, and every single fight's like it. I accept that some of them have to be like, but you need to have fights that are not like that because I, it makes the whole thing... I think as someone that goes along to, what you hope for is that you'll have two 50-50s, mm-hmm. one 65-35, one 75-25, and then you'll accept the rest of it is young lads learning. 100%. Like, I think that's how you structure a card, and that's what brings, or ultimately will bring fans in. You don't expect every fight to be 50-50. I don't expect uh, a young lad, uh, Linus Eudofia, coming through. I don't expect him to be in a 50-50 at this stage no. of his career. But I expect him to be learning little bits as he goes along, and then when he gets to, you know, 12, 13, 14 fights, maybe looking... Well, well Linus rang me up, he wants to fight Taylor Jones. He's, he's, he wants to go Does in. Does he? Yeah, he wants to he go in. fight that. He wants Taylor Jones now. He said, I want him now. He said, approach his manager, I want him now. Why? He said, it would be considered a 50-50 and I'll be able to showcase my skills against him. So I will make an offer for Taylor Jones to come and fight him. Oh, excellent. Um, but that's something I'll do tomorrow. He's managed by Tony Sims, but I mean, Dad's involved. But we will make that offer. Um, I think I think in re- reality, he wants. He obviously wants to fight hot people early. And I think boxers are starting to want... They, they generally, most boxers, believe it or not, they want to have, they want to have harder fights. So is it... But the majority of the ones I have are like that. Very few. Ninety-nine and a half percent of yeah. Most some don't, but the most, the most do. I think most say, "Well, yeah. I want to be tested. I want to fight somebody that means something." I think that's very true. So, um, just a, um, David McGinley, I introduced him and then didn't tell it. Oh, okay. First question was, <laughs> um, I, this is the opposite round, but he's asked, "Have you ever um, considered uh, what, a negotiation of getting your boxers with Warren on Box Nation?" Yes. Um, yeah. So okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was um, it isn't that it, it isn't that I was due to have a meeting with Frank, I think about two years ago. There was a meeting set up to discuss it, and it got cancelled and shelved, and nothing then happened. I met Frank earlier this year, uh, when we were discussing Frank Bullioni, and after we spoke, and he said, "Oh, we need to we need to set up a meeting. Um, we would like to set up a meeting with you about fighters fighting on the shows." Stuff like that. So we then tr- he passed it to his son Francis. Francis rang me, said we were going to set the meeting up, and it all just died again. That's an intro. Can I quickly railroad David's question? Apologies. I realise we're kind of running about an hour and a half now, and we've got a few to run through. Yeah, yeah so we'll, we'll kind of go through him a little bit quicker in a minute. But I just wanted to touch oh, on. Bear quickly. in mind, we don't have a. Oh no, no, wait! We've saved ourselves twenty minutes there. <laughs> Fight pass. That's one that people might be interested in, and how that was dealt with at the time and what it you know what it was sold as initially and then what it is now like yeah because you were involved in the initial setup yeah. you know when people signed up got a free t-shirt and then they were going to stream small hall that's shows right. that's right but then that fell apart didn't it ultimately it was- yeah, what happened was eddie heard well what happened was in my opinion he showed they'd done a, they'd done one of our shows which was really good and competitive and then they'd done, I think it was a Steve Wood show up north. I think it was Diabolical. It was pretty, pretty, <laughs> I think, and, and they did a show in Newcastle that was pretty poor. Because they had was, Coldwell as well, didn't they? Was yeah, so I don't, think, I, did, I don't know if they ever showed a Dave Coldwell one. I mean, they might have done. Um, I think they did 
we did two, and they were really good shows. But people weren't turned on by them because, in the meantime, of our ones they were really uncompetitive ones. So I think in the end he didn't he didn't get enough viewing figures, Eddie, for the for the thing to work. So I think he made the right decision that it wasn't it wasn't actually working. The stream again they were doing it by on the internet rather yeah. than through a TV platform, and it just didn't work. So he's basically replaced Fight Pass, hasn't he, with Next Gen? Fight Pass so now has just become... No, a... he's replaced fucking Saturday Fight Night with Next Gen oh, now, no, it that's, seems. Yes, and then, you know... No, I know, but yeah, Next Gen is, is a sort of similar type of thing, but with a cheaper budget, isn't it? Yeah. Cheaper budget, cheaper production, worse fights. Um, and then Fight Pass just becomes a priority... Yeah, ticket Ticket. Thing. It wasn't what it was for... sold as, but then if people don't like it, they can stop. They can not renew it. Oh, I agree, but it, you know, it's it's a bugbear of mine in general. I wouldn't expect you to comment on it because the Eddie relationship, but the whole fight pass thing is just it's a scam to me. Like allegedly, um. <laughs> I'm not sure that works. I'm not sure it works like that. But look, you know, you you buy a ticket to enter a lottery to get an early ticket. Like you're paying an annual subscription to get first priority of buying a ticket. Now that's what fight pass ultimately is. That is. Ahead of StubHub. <laughs> well, yeah. So you, you buy your you, StubHub get a StubHub get a quantity of them, don't they? Yes, to sell it sell at face value. value. So, but who's getting them? Are the and Fight so, Pass getting ahead of StubHub? If you're, if you're a tout, you just buy five hundred subscriptions to Fight Pass at thirty quid a year. Mm-hmm. That enters you into getting the priority tickets. And so, even if you like Andy, if you're going to sign up for Fight Pass because you want to get an Anthony Joshua ticket, there's more. Fight Pass members than there are tickets released as a priority. So you're basically just you're in, you're paying thirty quid a year to enter a lottery. You've got no guarantee of winning. Yeah, but I don't think you should take more Fight Pass members than tickets. Exactly, you've got a guarantee. Yeah. That's my opinion. It's horrendous. And also give less to StubHub and more to the Fight Pass members. Yeah, of course. It's yeah. a simple solution. So I don't. Yeah, I, I can't say I agree with that ticketing system at all. Hey, do what Ed Sheeran does. Buy the tickets for Ed Sheeran. You've got to turn up with the ticket, the name, and your wait, passport. Wait, wait. There was uh, one of the matchroom directors. I can't remember who it was, who deals with the PDC, the dart stuff, and he's dealing with the Athletics, World Athletics Championships that's on. He tweeted the other day, and I tweeted him back about it. He said how proud he was because they'd found something like a 1,000 tickets, I can't remember the exact number, um, that were sold on from the original resale value. So, like, the Usain Bolt races were all sold out for those sessions. And I tweeted him back saying, have you ever spoken to Eddie about this? Like, because he was saying we found these ones that were bought and then resold on and then we've cancelled them. Like, go and tell Eddie it's not fucking impossible to do that. No. Because it's it's embarrassing well, for the we sport. Have, we have talked about it before. It's a black guy. Yeah, it's so... Look, my cynical mind just says they don't do it because money finds their way back to them. It makes sense. Somebody makes enough money somewhere on the line for it to make sense they don't put those there's barricades in place. There's enough people feeding themselves. You remember StubHub or a sponsor? Yeah. So there's a financial commitment to do what StubHub it, wants, maybe? to me. I don't, I don't know the arrangement, but yeah. Um, right, so let's cruise through some of these questions. Uh, George asks, is the Edwards-Chander fight still on? No idea. I don't manage Matthew Chander anymore, unfortunately. Um, I got him a British title shot. We got to the end of the three-year contract at the same time as I'd got him a British title shot after getting him a big payday for the Commonwealth and he decided somebody else would negotiate that better than I would. (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not, I I don't believe that to have remotely been, uh, be real. That is just, but yeah, so yeah, we move on. Okay, Riku asks, if you could change two things about British boxing to ensure that fighters are better equipped at European and world level, what would they be? 
proper preparation, not the Anthony Yard WBO route, because Frank Buglioni would say to me that when he fought Chudinov, he'd been fed on this WBO stuff, and he said he wasn't equipped to fight <coughs> Chudinov. So he's an example. He said he needed to be better prepared and have more and have more realistic, more better fights than just because he was just said I was just fed people apart from Kamitsky who carried him. You need to do it incrementally, don't yeah. you? It's you, need to build you it. can't leap. Yeah, no, you can't leap. So I think, I think that I think that's it. I don't think there's anything else you you, you can actually do. You've you've got to move. They are these um, days TV executives for the first time ever are now starting to put demands on promoters for what they can fight. So I think there are limits as to um, as to what they can do. But I think the I think the idea is to to build them gradually rather than in a big jump. Um, slightly off topic, but is a slightly warm hearted change of pace um, is um, Deontay Wilder on his way to match Mayweather and Marciano at 50-0 having not fought anyone oh, I don't know the whole thing's embarrassing isn't it really you've got um, the Dillian White escapade with that and then you've got Tony Bellew kind of chucked his name in and does anyone care about Deontay Wilder like really until he has a, a legitimate fight it's like, getting boring yeah I think the whole thing's bo- getting boring I'm just bored with it all White, White should have rematched Chisora yep. They didn't. He avoided. So whatever they say, it was Dillian White that avoided that. Didn't want. Didn't want to do it because he wanted to move further forward. He hasn't. Yeah, and he's going to fight. As, same as same thing. What we just discussed about um, Yard moving forward to fight Ricky Simmons, and he wanted to move forward to fight Michael Grant at forty two, been KO twice, <laughs> and then compare. I mean, it's nonsense. So yeah, um, I, I, I think go and have a look, all of you stop talking. Go and have a proper fight and let's watch it. Yeah, like I'm, I'm a fan of Huey Fury, Joseph Parker. Mm, it's a proper I agree, fight. Like, I agree. Two, and you know, and Joseph Parker has been tested. Andy Ruiz, Carlos Takam, yeah, they're decent yeah. names. So if Huey Fury beats him, that's legit. Great. I'm, I'm up for that. Um, fight. At that point, Huey Fury is a more legitimate world champion than Deontay Wilder. Only problem, no with, only problem with that show, though, is there might be an empty audience. <laughs> you can still gonna, buy pretty much every It's not going to sell. It's not going to sell. It's ter- and the undercard's pretty shite as well. Mm-hmm. And there's no TV network announced. No. Really I thought, odd. I reckon it'll end up being BT. I think they'll have to go home and, mm-hmm. you know, cap in hand it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you reckon the World Boxing Super Series will end up? Any idea? No, I no. don't think. I don't think that. I don't think they've got it sorted yet, have they? No, there's no American TV station. From what I've heard, um, the issue around it isn't. They want everybody to have the whole lot. Yeah, but no, lot. yeah, but that's not even the issue because from again, it's a little bit of um, hearsay. But I assume the issue would be that you've got to fit in sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, whatever it is, fights for both divisions. And so fitting that in around a broadcast deal would be difficult. Mm. But actually, I don't think that's necessarily the problem. I think the problem is how much money they're asking for it is like huge, huge values. Um, and nobody's willing to, to pay it at the moment, is what I understand. Well, Callum so, Smith Scogland in Liverpool, where Eddie Hearn two weeks later has nicked all the big ticket undersellers to put a really, sharp against he's, it. He's cock blocked to many. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's good business, but he's supposed to be mates for Sowlands. I wouldn't want, I'm not sure I would want Eddie as a mate. <laughs> um, so I just see, yeah, that's what they do. So I, again, the card in Liverpool look, doesn't look strong. Yeah, but I say, uh, allegedly, the, the issue isn't around fitting the dates into a broadcast deal, mm. it's around how much money they want for it. Um, but yeah. you see, how much can that demand? Really, it's not. It's not a brilliant fight. It's not. A, 
It's not. It's not a. It's not a Eubank Groves, is it? That will sell yeah, well. I say it? that's the thing that you're banking on, isn't it? You end up with Eubank Groves in the semi-final, and then you make your millions off that. But otherwise, where's the where's the actual value? I'm not paying millions to watch. George there's no. Groves, there's no Jamie gar- Cox. There's no guarantee that they're both going to win. No, no. But you know, people aren't going to invest that money for George no. Groves, Jamie Cox. They would for George Groves, Chris Eubank. Mm. We'll see. It's a risk. We'll see. Another question from David McGinley. Um, I suppose it's in, in in two parts, really, in terms of international boxers and lesser-known boxers. He said he imagines that you need a hometown following you know, when you start off as a boxer in the small hall scenes. How much would a boxer or his manager need to cover starting out if they didn't have a local following to buy a huge level of tickets? Basically, it depends on where the shows are. If it's cheaper venue, then it's cheaper. But a boxer would need to sell somewhere between 50 and 70 tickets at normal value before they get paid right. which is hard isn't it like you think yeah you know like uh, i know you have this conversation i think steve with young lads when they're thinking of turning pro but i can't even think of 50 to 70 people that i know well enough i could ask them to pay to come and watch me do something i know 50 to 70 people but I, hard, to ask it? them for 40 quid to come and watch me yeah. well josh did it didn't he josh when yeah he pro, josh went through the same process his own son he had to sell because it was part of the experience of doing it. He had to do exactly the same. Yeah, and how I think did he find it? I think really hard. He sold eighty six. But he was saying the thing about like you know you get all these likes on Facebook. You put up your phone, your fight uh, poster. I remember having the conversation with him. Yeah. Put up a fight poster. I'll get three hundred likes. How many likes does it take to sell a ticket? Like, there isn't a, there isn't a linear conversion between those. I two. mean, he he had people let him down that he had supported in different things in his life before. That said they were going to buy a ticket, and then two days before, let him down, mm. and and he ended up falling. He ended up not being friends with them anymore because the time he wanted. It, so it caused the breakup of friendships because at the time, because they just literally showed they didn't give a shit when he might have done something really good for them. Yeah. Three months before, three months before. How hard, you know. Like, didn't most of his friends supported it, but there was the odd one or two. Yeah. But, you know, for those people that are trying to start off in the sport, how hard, it's a, how it's a hard, hard. I say it to them all, I say it for them all. I think it's really hard. If you don't want to, don't do it. It's so hard. So hard. You know. And then continuously, if you see them, you go and watch them fight in September, and then they say, you've just finished, I want to fight again in November or December. Can you buy again? Yeah. Or just after Christmas, come down. That's <laughs> hard. It's really hard. Uh, it's really hard. What we are doing. Very quickly before we go on, we're developing because of what we're doing. We're now developing our own customer base of people that have come. So we are now starting to get people buying tickets direct from us who have been to our shows before because we put we have a good product. So it is helping us help the boxers at certain times with ticket sales. Um, Boxing Smart Casual asks: Are you looking at partnering with a broadcaster or alternative media? And if you could have a pick of a TV platform, which one would it be and why? BBC One. <laughs> that's a fair one for obvious reasons biggest yeah. biggest network biggest profile we we are going to it's very difficult to get a TV partner because at the moment you've got I mean David Hayes the latest one to get a TV thing but he's got floods of money to put into it obviously signing Joe Joyce everything else um we it's it's not an easy thing getting a partner, but you're always looking at potential options. But alternative media, no, because nobody's paying. Nobody's paying. We've been approached by a company that can get our our shows on television, but they're not going to pay as it stands. 
the problem with not going to pay is who's going to cover the costs uh, of the boxes. Uh, there's another, sorry, Daniel Saint asks, instead of free streaming, what if Small Halls, I don't know, what if Small Halls banded together and became a boxing-style Netflix? Even if companies like Netflix, Amazon, are they not interested as well? Well, let me tell you, I wouldn't band together with anybody because most of the product is rubbish. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, <laughs> banding together is one thing, but even independently, it was would that even... Because... I don't know. But the only one I'd say would be like you and Steffi Bull. Yeah, I'd agree. Like if I'd you, partner with him. Because geographically it makes sense as well, as like both putting on a good product. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people up in the north where he puts on a show in Doncaster aren't necessarily going to come down to London to see yours and vice versa. He puts on a good quality He'd be somebody whose quality of shows I wouldn't mind partnering with, but he's the only one I can think of that I would. Do you think there's any remote possibility of someone like Netflix or Amazon going for something like that? I know it's live, but... Possibly, possibly. I mean, it might be something that we... I don't know. I think what Daniel Saint's saying is not that Netflix or Amazon get involved, but you build a relationship with, say, Steffi Bull, and then you sell off... (laughs) Small Hall Boxing Monthly for £5 a month. Yeah, all right, yeah, there's that and as then, well. Yeah, I think that's what he's getting. But your problem but is, just for me, nobody's, nobody's going to pay. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's why I mentioned Netflix, because a company like that is such a large, vast... I mean, they pump so much, X amount of hundreds of millions into a show that might run, say, 10 episodes. Yeah. Whereas they could spend a fraction of the money on boxing. Admittedly, they'd probably get less viewership, but... It seems like it, it could it could still work. It's a possibility. You need a you need somebody like that to to get into it. But then they the other problem that you've got, they need to know who to work with. And we there's not many people out there that could actually run it properly. I've I've seen how some shows are run on TV and they're not great. Um, Jack Blair has another question: Can more be done by Varda and UCAD uh, to cut PEDs from boxing? And I think he's just taking it as read that there's loads of PDs. Why would have got that idea? I don't know. From our <laughs> podcast. Terry, yeah. Given Terry. Uh, but can, given, well, I think that a context to add to this may be that given the amount of positive tests we've had over the last, say. Can I rephrase the question? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, go ahead. Have, how much testing do you get by UCAD at your shows? Last time I saw a tester, a show that I was involved with. So it was probably be. It was a love tester in the arcade. <laughs> must be, it must be 17, 18 shows ago. That's terrible, isn't it's it? Hot, that's how awful. many fights? Say did two fights. I would say in the last three years, apart from Commonwealth titles, where they do test automatically, the amount of random tests we've had, five or six boxes. Is it only Commonwealth titles that test? Commonwealth titles, British titles, all tested. But if you said there were 10 English fights. titles not tested. If you said 10 fights per show on average-ish, that's... Close the shows I've been involved with, I'd say of the last 300 fights, probably five or six boxes have been tested. That's absolutely Jesus. shocking, isn't it? Five or six fights have so been tested. So if you just wanted... To, if you wanted they did to... the Audley Harris, the most famous one I had, they did Audley Harris and Ali Adams, and Ali Adams got banned, but that was only because Audley Harrison rang and requested it because he was he was a, he knew he thought Ali Adams was on something so he rang them specifically Audley Harrison that's why they tested and Ali Adams got banned <laughs> that was it but otherwise they wouldn't have come in that day we don't test unless you request it yeah <laughs> and that was a request so apart from that we haven't seen anyone shocking hmm the colour of Portsmouth I remember them coming to Portsmouth and I cannot remember the last time they ever come to your hall yeah. cannot remember cannot remember Jeez. I think once they came, they found a foreign... And they did a foreign boxer. He got banned. So that was 
that was uh, I think I can only remember the last two years three years and I might be wrong two two different shows I've appeared and I'll be honest I've been to small hall shows yours other people's and there are times you sit there and you go I'd be fucking shocked if that lad isn't on something it just happens lads that look far too bulky to be in a boxing ring lads that just have that look of somebody that is you know doping in some way like steroids, doping, whatever. Yeah, puffy face. Face. Uh, they're thirty years old, but they've got a face like a fifteen-year-old boy. Yeah, or, <laughs> or an eighteen-year-old who's got the face of a thirty-five-year-old. <laughs> I've seen fighters. I've seen fighters that I know have been on drugs. Not my fighters. I manage fighting on shows that I've attended or been with, and I know a hundred percent. Terrible, isn't it? And and that, and the particular one particular boxer's no longer boxing because yeah, because he was. They were actually watching him, and then he came off, and then he was really rubbish. And then, <laughs> once he was off, and then he, he didn't box anymore. Uh, question from Anonymous. Why is Frank Buglioni nervous about spying the leading contenders at 175? Does he think he's on borrowed time? What? <laughs> Frank Buglioni spars everybody that's suitable for a particular fight. When he spars Ricky Summers, he'll be looking for particular fighters. When he sparred... Um, Jose Burton, he was looking for tall opponents. He spar, he spars George Groves fairly regularly when he's when it's a fight like him. Frank Buglioni will spar whoever he needs to spar. Frank Buglioni is one man that is not scared of sparring or fighting anyone. But he's not going to spar somebody who's a southpaw if he's fighting orthodox. He's not going to spar somebody who's five foot eleven if he's fighting somebody who's six foot four. Frank Buglioni is not unless somebody's going to give. Us, Give me a specific, whoever's written that in should give a specific name, <laughs> name, when, and it's because it's all about saying that sort of stuff, but you need to have, to say something like that about Frank Bordeaux, you need to have something to back up. And there's no point saying he wouldn't spar George Groves when he was about to spar Jose Burton, because you're not going to spar that type of fighter. Fair enough. In that case, you're going to love the rest of the question, which was, um, why has Frank got a career and perception that suggests he takes the easy way out? <laughs> The, is this is this from Anthony Yard? <laughs> Do you know when is I got this question in, I thought he's fought Lee Markham in what was a war. He fought Chudinov when Chudinov was a wrecking ball. Yeah. He fought Burton when nobody else wanted Would to fight, fight Burton. I mean, I mean, it's just bullshit. Whoever's written that, <laughs> it's just fucking bullshit. Like Frank Buglioni, you just can't. This is just somebody who's either Anthony Yard or his or his gay lover or his <laughs> wife or. It's, it's ridiculous. Anthony, by the way, I know you're not gay, so I'm just joking. But, I mean, it's fucking bullshit. Can we have a serious question, please? That's ridiculous. Um, right. Do you both think that Malignaggi actually got dropped um, sparring... Um, McGregor. McGregor. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. Don't give a fuck. Who cares? I'm not going to watch it. I'll watch a replay in the morning. Yeah, I'll be the same. Yeah. It's just bullshit fire. It's just... And the thing is, they're just making all this hype up. Mal and Argy Just trying to... It's just bollocks. I, I know. Think. How many people are talking about it that weren't talking about it before mm. because Mal and got dropped yeah. in and he's walked out of training no, camp? No, because he wet, wet himself on Twitter. Like... <laughs> like nobody cares. If, you, if, you, if people cared half as much as you think they care, they'd care twice as much as they actually do. Do you know what? You got stopped by Sam Eggington. And I wouldn't back Sam Eggington to beat Floyd Mayweather. So what fucking difference it make anyway? It's, I agree. It's bonkers. <laughs> I agree. Um, who do um, you two think are the most are the five most underrated fighters out there? I mean, don't feel, feel free to not give me five. 
between you, maybe. I think this is also like underrated and underexposed. So, put it another way, who are some of the top ones in your stable, Steve, that we will keep an eye out for? Be... <sighs> it's very difficult. I know you don't start... want to pick individuals. Because then you start picking individuals. So let's go down. Let's go down the um, heavyweights. I've got a kid's not even made his debut yet called Omar Macau. I saw he, him. He could be very, very, very good. So I think that's uh, very fair. Hard to do though, heavyweights, isn't it? Because there aren't that many about. No, exactly. But um, he's we'll do it. We'll do. We'll build him. I mean, I've built I built Dave Abraham to to five and zero, and he was just moving in the right direction, considering his amateur record wasn't brilliant. But he got married, and that was it. But I've, I, I'm still building him correctly. Right? Is he still so, fighting? Not at the moment. He's he got married. I think he's fallen in love, and so he's um, eating a lot and, and having a good time. <laughs> but he could come back. He's having a year out. Um, so Omar Macau definitely there. Um, I our think fan, I think I think our fan at cruiserweight is got the potential if he's fitted. You know, I think our fan could be so exciting. He's a TV fighter waiting to happen. I spoke with him the other day, Andy. You'll love this quote. He said, uh, "My coach like talks about it as some people go to punch to knock people out. I go to punch to break their face in." <laughs> That's his exact word. And he really means it. He really yeah. means it. <laughs> uh, got a kid. Punched got, through the face. He don't give a shit. Got a real kid hasn't turned over called Jabran Khalid. It's gonna be, I think it could be very, very special. I'm trying to. Um, the cruiserweights are all, all you know, they're all sorting themselves out now in order. <sighs> you know, you can. I don't want to mention like you've got Liveway. Joel McIntyre's doing really well, but you, yeah. he's not really. He's sort of underexposed, but he could. He could easily win a British title. And he'll fight yard when the time's right. If it's yard, he'll fight yard. Same as Frank. Nobody's, exactly nobody's, nobody is actually scared of yard. So we're quite clear. <laughs> None of my boys are scared of yard. It's just they just need to be. He just needs to be in a position where he's offering something. And a WBO WBO number eight ranking that we could only doesn't really float the boat. <laughs> and then you got to pay the WBO sanctioning fees. And well, the promoter would. And the problem is, so we go and beat yard, right? So John McIntyre goes and beats yard. Frank Warren doesn't offer him a deal, and he's got a WBO ranking number eight that Eddie Hearn doesn't really want particularly. Yeah. Um, and the other rank, and the other TV promoters aren't really interested in WBO because they want to go a different route. It doesn't really offer anything to t- yeah. TV companies. Don't want WBO European fights. They want British title fights. They want Commonwealth title fights. That's what pays. Apart from say Frank's BT network. John McIntyre is exactly the fighter that Yardo ought to be going for. Right now, at his stage of his career, John McIntyre... Well, he went be... for Ricky Summers, and I don't think that's a bad fight for Yardo. No, I agree. I think it's a fair fight. It's only because of that that press conference that makes you look and say it's a staff. If he was fighting Ricky Summers, you wouldn't have turned a hair. Do you know what's a perfect fight? Burton. Yes. Just fucking do it. But remember, he did beat Chris Hobbs. So, <laughs> you know, so he's really... That warrants him a British title shot, I mean, Frank. <laughs> Chris yeah. is... I mean, Chris had a close fight with Jordan Joseph, who's a 22-year-old novice. Chris's a lovely bloke. We, I like Chris. We I, really, I like Chris. But we, yeah. He had a great win against Jordan. But, yeah. you know... He's not that level. No. So, I think you've got... So, yeah, him and there's... We've got so many potential fighters in the camp. I'm picking I'm, I'm picking basically ones I haven't fought because I don't want to upset other ones that I don't. There are so many within what we've got. We've got so many potential Southern area English I'll champions. name some of them. Like, I think it'd be very few do it. Yeah, yeah you do like, it. Linus Yudofi is one that I mentioned all the time. Mm-hmm, Red Pools, Wrecking Ball, Josh Kennedy, good fighter. Um, Dino Richardson is a hell of a Special, special kid. Special um, kid. The difference with Dean as opposed to a lot of other young welterweights and things is his timing, his patience in the ring sets him aside from a lot of other fighters. I mean, Dan Dan Keenan looked very good in his last outing. Mm-hmm. Good fighter. Uh, that's just some of the ones I can rattle off the top of my head. But they're some of the ones 
I'm interested, or like I'm interested in all of them to an extent, but excited by, I suppose, is a better term. Okay. Um, Danny Watley asks, uh, why do you think? Why, why don't you think Brooke and Khan? Why don't they just fight each other? Because Khan's gonna go through a divorce after he fucked his missus off all over Twitter during the week. <laughs> They both had shockers this week. They ought to just fight each other. Like, Khan's had this thing with his missus and his missus getting boned by Joshua. And then you've got Brooke getting arrested off a plane or, sorry, talking to police uh, off a plane when he's got smashed on an EasyJet flight, apparently. Um, I think what you've got there, though, haven't you? you've got Kelbrook looks like he's on the way down now. Khan's, it just makes, it's probably their best money fight, but... His egos involved, promoters involved, it's, everything. Like it's that. probably the last moment right now that you can make that fight and it's still relevant because yeah, they're correct. both their careers are turned into a bit of a car crash. Not I don't mean that disrespectfully. Like getting beaten by the fighters that Kel Brook has is fine. No disgrace, but but you know the Tenerife stuff. This Barcelona stuff's going to bring back all of the Tenerife stuff and people referencing that. Um, you, you need to cash in on that career, I think, now and try and do I'd it agree. because it's not going to get. An, it's not going to go back up. His trajectory is down, not up, right um, now. You know, I've heard recently that David Hay, Tony Bellew might not happen, num- number two, just because both of them want to be, as you referenced, the left side of the of the of the fight. They they both fi- Tony Bellew thinks that he should get the spoils after the win, and David Hay still thinks he's levels above Tony Bellew. That all that may be true, I don't know, but for me, it just it seemed that's. That's the best option for both of them next, right? Is there any other better fights that you can? But but it, but is that is that really happening? Oh, well, okay. I don't really, know. It's isn't pure, it, isn't I don't it, know isn't it I great to I talk about the fight, and then when it gets made, oh wow, we made it happen. Oh, isn't that fantastic? Oh. And and I mean, I don't know anything about it, but I'm just saying that I think that you that after I've been in boxing and learned what goes on, you've got that could easily be the case, but. The good thing, what they're doing is that rather than say, oh, we've just done the fight, they're getting people talking about it. Is it off? Is it on? It just creates interest, doesn't it? Just creates yeah, interest. Yeah, I guess so. And, and if it, the, the question is, is it the right fight for both of them? <clears throat> 100% yes. Yeah. You know where the problem sits, though? Is that if it doesn't happen now, then people will get pissed off. So reference it back to Joshua Klitschko. We've been saying on here for a while there's a bit of a smokescreen going on with all this and the trips to Vegas. I fail to believe, I might be wrong, I fail to believe Eddie Hearn found out that morning that Klitschko was retiring. He would have known about that, I guess, a week before, two weeks before, yet they still went to build that Joshua stuff. And now you've got the disappointment. You have to lower it back down and say, we're going to fight either Pulev or Ortiz. And actually a lot of like you know, casual observers of Joshua. The as 90- he looks at me. As I look at you. <laughs> the 90,000 like you that turned out at Wembley that night are sat going, what the fuck is a Kubrat Pulev? Like, <laughs> you're going to have an awful lot of that. So, But I think I think the whole thing, and I don't know again, Eddie's obviously gone over to MGM, been put up in an amazing bit. They've all been had expenses paid, I presume, all flown over business cars probably. MGM now have shown an interest in Joshua. He's got. He's used that potential fight to break into for Eddie to try and break into Vegas with Joshua, and he's now opened up a channel from which they may put on Joshua against somebody else. That's what I think it was about. So that's why until he completed his Vegas trip, he didn't want to announce that it wasn't happening. That's what I reckon, mm-hmm. and I don't know. That would make sense, I suppose. Um, Danny Watley also asks uh, to give you give your thoughts uh, whilst asking all of us uh, if you expect Eubank to win the Super Series and if not who 
picks are, who picks are to win. I think we've kind of spoke about Crows before, haven't we? Yeah, Steve. Um, yeah, I think Crows wins it. I think Crows win. I think. I think there's some. I'm not. I'm probably going to say. I'm not overly impressed with Callum Smith. Again, you know what you're saying about the Frank Buglioni jumping from like WBO yeah. European to well. That's a Callum Smith. It, to be fair, it's a Joe Gallagher issue in general. Like, he doesn't let anybody fight anybody though, does he? He's known for it. He just yeah. turns down everybody. He's he is a prom, he is a promoter's nightmare apparently with what he turns down. But yeah, it must be horrible. If you're Callum Smith, I can't imagine Callum Smith is happy that his hardest fight to date is Christopher Rabrasse. And then he's going into this World Boxing Super Series where he could end up fighting Scogland, Groves, whoever else. Like, I agree. You can't be happy with that. When you've beaten Luke Blackledge in three rounds or whatever, like, so what? That's not setting you up. That's not taking you, on the gatekeepers. But you forget, but what you forget when you say not happy, this is what I said and I discovered this with Tasha Jonas. If you're in a fighter's ear two times a day, every day, Every you get bright, the fighters get brainwashed. You That's, can make them happy. Yeah. Uh, Senor Tasty asks: When AJ leaves Hearn, could you see him fighting on free-to-air terrestrial channel, probably to uh, possibly to raise profile and long-term financial gain? Do you reckon he'll leave Hearn? Be the first question. No. No, I don't. I think he'll stay. I think. Um, my understanding of how the pay-per-view model works, now I understand how it works, is that it, it, it isn't that the promote. and I don't, I'm not breaking anything, it's just something I've learned, so nobody's told me this. AJ basically owns that card. And Hearn gets, Eddie Hearn would be paid, this is my understanding, a fee for running the show. So therefore, the undercard budget is set by Anthony Joshua, and he basically runs the show. So... In effect, indirectly, he is the sole promoter with a consultancy fee to Eddie Hearn. Yeah. Now, if he wants to stay with Sky, for example, he's got to still go through Eddie Hearn. So the only reason he would leave Eddie Hearn is if he's going to get a bigger share of the pie. That's pay-per-view. Now, in the UK, there's no other pay-per-view setup that works as well as the Sky model. So, But you can still use a Sky platform without... Being... But, then, but ITV do that, but you have to go online and register. It's not a by red button, is it? It's not like... I'm the... trying to think what the Box Nation was going to be for Fury, Klitschko but It would have been the same I thing. Can't... They were going to do it online. And then you can you have to register first before you can buy. So I'm not sure. It depends, really. I mean, I think if you get to a situation where Anthony Joshua is going to leave Eddie Hearn, I think Eddie Hearn will probably just take a lower, lower, lower cut of his percentage. So... I, I I can't really. I'm sure that Eddie Hearn's not silly enough. A bit of something is better than nothing, so I'm sure he will take things. But but it is my total understanding that it's not like he gets paid a fee. He's on a percentage of the pay per views, a percentage of this, and a percentage of that. So I I don't think he I don't think he will leave. So it's not like Anthony Joshua can dramatically improve his earnings by leaving Eddie. Well, you know, I don't know the deal. Yeah, so, I realize but that. I, my but... gut feeling is I don't I agree, I don't think he will improve his, his his money that much and he's in it for the money it, it'd be, and I think I, you know, I don't see it and, I, and you've got to remember Sky are committed to Eddie Hearn everything has to go through Eddie Hearn but if you know when Hay Bellew 1 was involved David Hay owned was, was part promoter of that yes. show <clears throat> so and that's common knowledge the Haymaker so, promotional the, yes, side yes that was part of it and and so, so that I'm not I'm not so sure he leaves. I think that's presumptuous. I think in the old days, when you had, say, for example, fighters that were fighting 
when David Hay wanted to keep his own name and, and he would he would set his own thing up and people that were fighting, say, on a Frank Warren show that were just being paid a purse would want to break try and break away, like Khan and everything. That's because they thought they had a bigger share of the money. If he's getting a good percentage of the money, I don't see why he'll leave. I still think he leaves. Do you? Yeah, I do. I think he'll leave. He'll set up AJ Promotions with... Who's he got? Boatsy signed yeah. with him. A Coley. A Coley, yeah. Um, a few of the other, you know, exciting... You GB think that's what he'll do, do you? Yeah, I think he will. Um, and then do a deal in his own right. In some way, piggyback onto that Sky platform um, and, you know, take his... You know, that Hearn percentage, he's... Look at the team that AJ has around him. Like, it's probably bigger than Matchroom. It is, yeah. It's bigger. So, like... What does he need Eddie for? If he's got that entire team... He either, needs it for the Sky platform. But either that team aren't earning their money or Matrim aren't earning their money. But either way, AJ's losing a chunk of money that he could otherwise be keeping to himself. So like, it seems to me one or the other would have to go in time. It depends on what he's earning. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. But we'll see. Do you know what? I understand if he does want to do that. He's got a year left on the contract, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll know in 12 months. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Wouldn't shock me if he left. But I think it depends on how much Eddie's taking as his cut. Yeah, maybe there'll be some sort of like new. It'll go onto ITV, terrestrial TV, and it'll be the J Factor, and they'll have a fight, and then you've got to ring up to decide who vo- votes to win. Yeah, and sounds good. Yeah, it'd be some sort of new, I like that new, <laughs> new boxing model. Da <laughs> <laughs> glitter flying all over the stage. I'm yeah. voting for Latvian bin man. Works for every time. <laughs> um, I guess that brings us to the end of this epic podcast, which I think may actually be the longest we've had. I think, it's, I think it's out. You shouldn't have invited me again then. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Normally we end here after a, you know, 20-minute Terry monologue. So at least it's been fresh and inform uh, in- informative up to this point. So there was nothing much left to say. Um, get involved with more questions next week. Um, send them through send at Mirage Boxing UK yeah let us know how we got on Steve um, when are your next shows we ought to mention that really before oh yeah. yeah Josh is running one on the 9th which I've got problems we've got some problems because Leon McKenzie's opponent pulled uh, out Higgins and Higgins pulled out, out so I'm, I've got to sort that out uh, Jack Morris pulled out of Aussie Gervais last week so we've got to try and sort something out still got the Joel McIntyre um, there's problem with this potential problem um John O'Donnell's got a niggle that I found out about today. It's he's, got a, mucho he's got a slight, slight, <laughs> a slight problem, but he's going to see the doctor this week, so there's a, there could that could be deferred. Um, so yeah, and then the twenty third, you've got the um, Wadi Camacho, Jose Lopez, Jack promoting that, and uh, cousins against cousins against Demetrio. I think it's a cracking it's fight, fight and Kawit against Louis Green, which I think is a good fight. So yeah. there's some there's some really good fights. Good fights coming up. Kay Prosper comes back on the knife. Michael Devine's on. Grant Dennis, Southern Area Champion. He's actually fighting someone who fought Golovkin. And that's his claim to... Who's that? Yeah, he's a foreigner, but he's... He did, he did lose. <laughs> but, he did, but he did survive four rounds with Golovkin. Oh, right. That's him in a pub. <laughs> and I didn't even know it till Grant Dennis put it on Facebook and he said, I'm fighting somebody that's fought... So he's selling his tickets on the fact he's fighting somebody who fought Golovkin. Golovkin, he fought, he fought survivor. Golovkin. He fought Golovkin in year seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When Golovkin was two and hour or four and hour or something, but yeah, he went four rounds of Golovkin. So uh, no, but yeah, it's, so then no, it's some there's some really good, it's it's some good good stuff, and then uh, then we've got something quite good to do in October, and then we move on to November shows, December shows, and 
That's good. There's some good, some working on some good fights for some of the boxers as well. Excellent. Happy days. Thank you very, very much for giving your time to this pokey little podcast, Steve. It's, a <laughs> it's much appreciated. Um, what's your Twitter handle? Stephen with a PH, G Goodwin. He's got enough Twitter followers okay. already. You don't need to. Well, yeah. Like 15,000. You know, I'm 13,000 something rather. Courtesy. Courtesy. No, <laughs> it doesn't mind. need ours. No. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> 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 Um, oh no, I'm just saying if you've got any abuse to send, send it to <laughs> yes. I get I get abused as well. I do get abused. Uh, as always, n- at New Age Podfather, um, at New Age Boxing UK, you already said that. And if you must um, send inflammatory texts to at the Seven Wolves to try and get a rise out of Terry, as seemingly more people tend to do more often now. Um, other than that, thank you very much thank for you. listening. Um, again, thanks to Steve. And we will see you next week. Yeah.